Welcome back to the Boneyard Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jared Shaffer, along with Artemis Brower. We're coming to you this week with episode 37 of the Boneyard Podcast, everybody. 37, uh, Artie. Man. Bless, man. And, and <laughs> we, we send out these things every every time we, like, talk to a new guest or, or uh, try to uh, reach out to a uh, prospective guest. I said that weird. Prospective guest. Um we always say, oh, yeah, we we started this thing back in March. Like, we're, we're a fairly new podcast. Artie, we're not going to be able to say that much longer. We're really not, man. We're 37 episodes deep. And, Jared, you sent me the text. I think it was today, actually, this morning. 7,000 plays on our podcast. 7K. And we just started this in March. Shout out to Pirate Nation. Shout out to everybody that listens to this podcast. We don't usually do a shout out. I want to shout out everybody that has supported us from day one that listens we thank you. We love you. Keep it up. We want to get more. We want to have a million listeners. You know, that's that's the goal. So shout out to everybody that listens. Yeah, that, that that's the goal. And we've we've gotten several messages over the past couple of weeks. I actually got a message today on on uh Facebook from a from a podcaster group that I'm in. And it's uh it's the guy was like, Hey, like I, I'm a I'm a fan of ECU. My my cousin actually played baseball at ECU. Like we um, I, I never knew y'all existed. I, ne- I never knew like ECU had any podcasts, um, mm-hmm. much less one uh, of y'all's caliber. So keep it up. That, that I mean, that was awesome to hear. Um, we've seen yeah. some awesome comments on Facebook, awesome comments on Twitter. Um, keep keep bringing in the reviews, everybody. That it, it, that's how we that's how we grow Pirate Nation. How we grow this right. podcast is through those reviews. Keep reviewing because that's gonna that's gonna put us on top of the charts. I mean, we've got 29 five-star reviews, and then one one asshole left a one-star review. I don't know who that is, but uh, hey, look, 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 positive or negative, I, I'll, I'll take it because I, I like to get the perspectives of everyone. So I mean, they didn't say anything. It was just a one star. Like it was just you, a one star. If you're yeah. gonna give me a one star, at least at least tell at me. at least explain why you didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. It, it was probably just a disgruntled NC State fan or or, or whatnot. Um, probably. So Artie, we have a we have a pretty big episode today, man. Um, mm-hmm. we have two guests. So the way some of these things work out, sometimes we reach out to a guest and we don't hear back from them. And then, um, we, we end up getting two guests cause we, we reached out to se- several guests. Um, this week we've got two and we've got Billy Embody. He's, uh, he's one of the writers for 24 seven sports, another 24 seven sports guy coming on the Boneyard podcast sooner or later. They're just going to add us into the mix. I know, I know I has got his thing going on over there, but um, maybe they'll eventually just add us into the mix and and have us uh, have a competing podcast with, with Steve and I on on two four seven. Yeah, <laughs> I, man, I'd love that. Man, uh, I would absolutely love that. Yeah, I, I go would never let that happen. Friend of the podcast. Yeah, I was about to say. But... <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame him either, man. Oh no, <laughs> I don't blame him. He, he, he's got the market cornered. So yeah, right. He, but Billy, uh, Billy covers SMU and LSU, which I mean, we we mm-hmm. when we talk to him. We got a pretty good perspective of, of what he was doing. Um, and then we also talked to Rich Phillips. Rich is the play-by-play voice for the for the SMU Mustangs. Um, he won't be traveling to Greenville this week already, but he'll, uh, he's in his 20th season calling uh, football for, for the Mustangs. And I, I forgot to ask him how many years he's been calling basketball, but he's, he's been with the university for at least 20 years. That was a fun interview. Um, we got kind of uh, two different kinds of perspectives, one mm-hmm. from more of your beat writer type uh, perspective and one that of somebody that, I mean, the guy that watches the game 
most intently. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he's watched every SMU game. And this is the first game he's not going to be at live. So um, uh, he's been at every single game this year, which, which is pretty cool. Um, but, Artie, before we, before we jump right in, I, I, I got to tell you, man, I, uh, I poured this drink that, I'm, that I got right here. Uh, yes. Way too heavy. Way too heavy. Um, it, That's how pirates do it, man. We pour it too heavy. I don't, I don't even, supposed to be. I don't even know what what's like. I know it's vodka, but I don't know like the other mixer. It's some kind of like cheer wine punch type thing. Um, mm, okay. Yeah, vodka it, it, and vodka and cheer wine punch. I don't. I don't know if that's a good mix, but oh no, it, it, it's a good mix. I, I'm enjoying it. You like it? Okay. I like it. it. It's like a it's like a cheer wine holiday. Like it's almost like cheer wine mixed with ginger ale. And you, you know, okay. you know okay. me, I'm all about my transfusion. So, like, I mean, the grape right. and the ginger ale. So, I figured this is probably as close as I could get. Um, well, I poured it almost. It, it was over. It was over fifty fifty, like going <laughs> vodka. And I, for the last hour, I've been trying to choke this thing down. That, that's usually how I get ready for one of these podcasts. I, I sing music and uh, I try to sing to, to warm up my voice, and then I uh, down vodka to open up my. Uh, open open it up and I, I really don't want to finish this I, I showed already how much I think it left uh, I is vodka I don't want no excuses let's 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 chug it so, let's get it down so here you go pirate nation three chug 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 there it is look you up how'd that feel <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I I don't know if Pirate Nation needed to hear that one. Good, I'm sorry, Pirate Nation. Woo. Do wow. not edit that out, by the way. Keep that oh, in there. Don't it, edit that out. We don't edit much. We just edit enough <laughs> to do the cuts, and uh, we we don't cut anything. It's all unedited. Um, that, that, that's what makes our podcast fun. Um, so yeah, sorry about that, Pirate Nation. I, I we're not we're not live, but we have the feel of a live broadcast. Yeah, it, it, it's as close because. We record these things already. By the way, it, I know we're like we're I know we're like ten minutes in, and we haven't even started talking ECU, but it is Thanksgiving morning. We're recording this yes, at twelve forty-five in the morning, right? And we and we got plans tomorrow morning too. We all got families to get to and food to eat and to be comatose on the couch watching something. So and I, and I guarantee this is gonna be this is gonna be a longer podcast since we have two interviews. Um, we've been putting mm-hmm. a lot of work into this this week's episode, but Artie, real quick, let's uh, let's talk about ECU basketball. So ECU basketball is supposed to play in the Gulf Coast Gulf Gulf Coast Classic. Damn! Uh, uh, there you go. You about to be slipping the whole episode. Look at you. <laughs> uh, but uh, now they're now they're going to play in the UNC Charlotte um, in, in the Forty Nine er Classic. They're going to play UNC Charlotte and Belmont Abbey um, Friday and Saturday, respectively. That's a that that's kind of an interesting um, change of events. That I mean, I, I was expecting us not to play anything until until December fifth, mm-hmm. our our season opener, which I I, I believe is against. Uh, man, I'm, I'm not even gonna try to guess. I, I I think I think that we play. Uh, I don't even know. I'm not I'm not gonna try to guess. I'm not gonna look it up right now. But uh, right. we we were we were planning on playing. You know. A, a full week from now, um, more than a week, almost ten days. Um, but now we're we're gonna have some basketball on Friday and Saturday. Um, ECU playing UNC Charlotte and Belmont Abbey. Um, 
what I mean, just kind of tell me, like, what are you thinking now that yeah, this news I, came out? I know, I know a lot of people might look at this matchup and say, oh, my God, you know, here we go again. ECU is not playing anybody notable. They're not playing in a legitimate, you, you know, UC Charlotte's good. classic or whatever. But, no, but what I'm saying is this is good for East Carolina because they're, they're playing a good team in UC Charlotte. And then they're playing a Belmont Abbey team. I, I really don't know anything about Belmont Abbey. I'm going to be nope. honest with you. When, when you say Belmont Abbey, it's like, oh, that sounds like a team from Wales, United Kingdom. Like yes. that's, that's, that's what that sounds like. Um, but it's, it's a good opportunity for us to maybe even start the season 2-0, right? Because I mean, those are two teams that we could possibly beat. And, and that's what you want to see to start the season. You have to have momentum. You have to have a, a good footing. You have to have a team that, that is showing some promise, showing some poise early on so you can build some confidence, build some momentum going into the season. So I'm really happy we were able to, to reschedule and to be able to do one of these little tournaments to start the season um, and to do it against UNC Charlotte. I got a lot of respect for UNC Charlotte. Um, we, you know, we, we, we know, I, I know some people, I don't know if you know anybody that went there, but I know some people that went to UNC Charlotte. I have a lot of respect for that campus and, and what they do. Um, like I said, I don't know really anything about Belmont Abbey. I don't even know what state they're in. Um, but I am happy that ECU is going to be playing in a tournament to start the season. Yeah, I mean, looking at Belmont Abbey, Belmont Abbey is actually there in North Carolina already. Uh, oh, <laughs> damn! Yeah, they're uh, well. <laughs> they're in Belmont, North Carolina. They're they're a private Catholic to liberal anybody arts college. That it goes to Belmont Abbey. I apologize. I am so sorry. I didn't know. Sorry. They, they are a Division II program, um, the American Athletic Conference. And, and Stephen Igo, he, he tweeted out something about um, how, how the AAC doesn't really like their teams playing in, in Division II teams, but, but they're giving every team a pass this year. Yeah, and, and you know, again, I apologize to anybody doing the Belmont Abbey. Um, like I said, I, I honestly – I had heard of them before, but I, like I said, I had no idea where they were, where where they came from. But I honestly regardless, thought, I honestly thought they were a uh, soccer team over over in the UK. Yeah, like when when you say it, it's like oh, downtown Abbey. Like that's that's we're playing an international team. That's that's cool. We're playing an international school. That's awesome. But obviously, um, you know, regardless regardless of where they're from, um, a lot of respect and 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 happy to play them and happy to just to be able to have one of those kind of tournament you know, brackets to, to start the season for, for ECU basketball. Yeah. Now, uh, UNC Charlotte, that's a team that ECU plays quite often. And yeah. I mean, they've had uh, some differing um, success against, against Charlotte over the past couple of years. Um, I know that, I know that's always a good matchup. Uh, I think we're evenly matched UNC Charlotte. I mean, they've made the, they've made the big tournament um, over the past couple of years, a couple of times. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, I think it'd be, um, a good matchup for, for ECU. Absolutely. So, Artie, now that, now that we've talked about basketball, I mean, that, that happens Friday and Saturday. Now, I want to say you can watch. Uh, I know on UNC Charlotte, they're going to have a live stream on their website. So, um, if you want to okay. watch ECU basketball play on Friday night um, while, while, your wife or, um, while your wife is shopping or while your husband's shopping, um, go ahead and do that. Uh, ECU is going to be playing. I, I don't have the game time in front of me, um, but th- they will play just UNC a, Charlotte on Friday. And just a quick plug: You think we can get anybody from ECU basketball mid-season or during the season 
or you think that's going to be too hard of a get? I'd, I'd love to be able to – obviously, we, you know, we've had Akeem Richards on and we've had some other basketball guys on. Um, going to get some more basketball guys on in the future, but I'd, I'd love to be able to get maybe an assistant coach or a player or something like that on um, mid-season. Uh, another the season another, pl- another players are going to be tough to get this year, but um, I, know, right. I know we can probably work something out with Coach Dooley. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work something out now. Um, hopefully I'm, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to. Um, yeah. We're not, so we're not going to put anything out there and say we get, we got a guarantee or nothing like that, but would absolutely love to give the people that kind of exposure. Cause I don't, I don't think a lot of people really know around pirate nation really know who coach Dooley is. Like we, like we know he's got a good background. We know where he comes from. We know he's a winner, but nobody really knows the personality of, 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 of coach Dooley and what he's all about. So I'd love for us to be able to kind of, broadcast that broadcast that out to the people as my co-host is waxing his ears right now (laughs) (laughs) why you gotta put me on blast like that hey man i just call it how i see it man man you know i was born with fluid buildup in my ears and i i don't know i i was like half deaf in one of my ears when (laughs) when i was like no hear me out i shouldn't be laughing at that but i'm laughing at one point in my life, they were like, yeah, you only have 50% hearing in your right ear. And then the next year, I had 100% hearing in both ears. And they were like, we, we think it was just a fluid buildup. And mm-hmm. it had been building up from the time that I was born. So, yeah, I, I try to I, – I, I clean my ears out quite a bit. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> sorry, Pirate Nation, I am just being completely gross tonight. Um <laughs> But oh, man, I, cleaning out his ears. I've never actually seen you clean your ears out. So that's why I was like, oh, okay, Jared's cleaning his ears. No, I, I clean my I clean my ears out probably three times a three times a week. No, mind you, I've I've lived with you before. Like I've actually lived in a house with you and I've never seen you really clean your ears. It's because I, I do I, it. I, I never saw that. I do it you right after. Did it in your room though. I do it in the bathroom. I do it right after I get out of the shower. Okay, I got you. But I I got here, look at this. Look at this, Artie. <laughs> you got them at the ready yeah they're, they're right here um at the ready but already ecu host a uh team that i mean i think should be in the top 25 they're seven and two smu coming into mm-hmm. dowdy ficklin stadium kind of give me uh your, your first thoughts about about smu yeah look at smu had they played the you know a perfect game in every game they'd be not enough you know, I, I think SMU's best is good enough to beat Cincinnati on a neutral field. I, I really do. And they lost to Cincinnati at home. And and that was a game where they kind of looked really discombobulated. I know a lot of people look at that game and like, okay, Cincinnati just kind of steamrolled them. But I don't think SMU played their best game. They kind of played kind of half-ass in that game, if, if, if you want my honest opinion. I think they, I think they could have, you know, really put up some more points, really played a lot better against Cincinnati. I think, you know, Cincinnati is Cincinnati. They are – more than deserving of the top 10 ranking that they have. I really hope that they are able to become the first American team to get into the college football playoff. But SMU was a lot better than what they showed in that game. Tulsa, look, you and I both know that Tulsa should not be in the top 25. They stole a victory against East Carolina. We know that. But in every other game outside of that, they've been well. They really have. They, they, they came back. They were down, I think, 21 against SMU. They handled their business. That was a game SMU should have been able to put to bed, honestly. They really should have been able to put that game to bed. They fell asleep. They let Tulsa come back, and Tulsa won the game. So you're looking at a 7-2 team that really could be 9-0. and 
and they've let a lot of teams stick with them. And we're, we're going to talk about how ECU can kind of capitalize on that. But if SMU wants to come out and play a perfect game, to be completely honest, we don't really have a chance to beat SMU. If they come out and play inspired and they really want to let people know what they are, we don't really have a chance. But I don't think that's going to happen. I kind of think we're going to see kind of typical SMU where they allow teams to stay in the game with them. So but we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, and now this will be ECU's final game of the season. Um, they, John Gilbert, ECU athletic director, sent out a – one of his from the helms earlier this week basically said that, I mean, looking at the financials, it didn't make sense for ECU to schedule another game to keep those kids on, on campus any longer than, than need be. Um, so for me, what that tells me is ECU's also it, the, the bowl games, they, they, they've taken away the, the need to get to six wins this year. That tells mm-hmm. me that, I mean, ECU could go to a bowl game, even if they have two wins, if they're two and seven, they could go to a bowl game, which I mean, I think would be best to get these guys some more experience, but um, that that's another conversation for, for maybe after the season that we can have. But um, yeah, John Gilbert, I mean, he said that the financials just didn't make sense because you, you got to think about it. You got to have money. You, you got to have these kids stay in the dorms. That means you got to keep the dorms open. You got to keep faculty there. You got to keep the dining staff there and working throughout throughout this winter break that, that ECU's on now because, I mean, exams are over. So right. you, you got to think about that. You got to have meals. You got to have the staff. You got to have the campus faculty. Um, so it, it makes sense why, why, they're not, why they're not playing. Yeah, I mean, it, it obviously makes sense. And it sucks because, you, you know, you would love to see an extra game. Obviously, that, that Marshall game, I'm going to keep beating that drum because I, I just – 50, you know, 50th year anniversary, I just, I really think we should, really should have tried to make that happen. But I, I get it. I really do. I understand the circumstances. Um, it sucks that this is going to be our last game, but I really do understand it. At best, we can go three and six, which is no, another thing that sucks. I know you really want us to, to, if we have the opportunity to get into a bowl game, I'm kind of iffy on it. I, I just don't like rewarding teams that are not only under 500, but well below 500. We would be a team that's well below 500. I'm just not a fan of that. That's just the, 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 well, the, the, that's just a competitor in me. That's just my compet like that, that, that competitive nature. I just, I just don't like rewarding teams or people that are below 500. I don't care about the circumstances. I don't care what happened. Your record is your record, but I, I get all that. The exposure will be good. The experience will be good. If we can actually go into a bowl game and actually play well and possibly win that, that would catapult us for next year. So I get where you're coming from, but, from from me, it's just that competitive nature coming out. I, I just don't know if I would like to see us in a bowl game, just to you know re- rewarding somebody that didn't really earn that spot in there. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, my my whole thinking is, I mean, yeah, I, I get I get it from the competitive nature, and I mean, I, I'm probably I'm one of the com- most competitive people that I know. Um, mm-hmm. I want to win. Even my family still brings it up. I, I cheated in Uno like ten years ago. <laughs> And they still bring it up. Hey, if you're not cheating at Uno, you're not trying. Yeah, I, I was sitting on cards. Come um, on now. Yeah. It's Uno. Come on. It, it, you're trying it's, to win, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but looking at it, I mean, ECU, honestly, they could they, – they should have an opportunity this week to get their fifth win, right? Or, yeah, their their fourth win, sorry. It, but if you if you count the Tulsa game – 
that that should be your fourth win, and and you're not that far behind below 500. You're you're only one game below 500 at that mm-hmm. point if you're four and five after the season. To me, that that's that's just uh, it's a little bit of semantics, but but that that's I mean that that's just kind of my opinion. Um, but let, let's focus on on SMU um, going forward. That that's the only game. That's the only thing we're we're focused on right now. At ECU playing SMU at home this weekend, twelve o'clock on ESPN Plus. Um, Sonny Dykes brings in his team. That I mean, Sonny Dykes has built his team very well. He's um, done it quick too, man. He's done yeah, it quick. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. This is a team that about uh, let's see, four or five years ago, they they were kind of in the same situation ECU was in. Mm-hmm. And they brought in Sonny Dykes, and he he really flipped he really flipped that uh that team and and flipped uh, their their roster. I believe it was something like twenty seven transfers last year um, mm-hmm. coming into the program, and and a lot of them are still there. Um, and he's really focused on recruiting that Texas area, which is I mean that that's the hotbed for for football in the country, and I mean. He, he's done he's done a hell of a job doing and, that yeah and and i think the benefit for sonny dykes too is that smu's in dallas dallas is you know one of the big name cities big metropolitan areas in the state of texas and you know as big as texas is um and so for him to be able to come in and get those grad transfers get those other transfers get those juco kids um and kind of convince these kids hey you know you you, you can go to texas you can go to baylor you can go to a&m but you're probably going to sit the bench. You can come to SMU and you're still very talented and you have the opportunity to start right away and make a legit impact um, and possibly play for for a New Year's Six Bowl and get your name out there and get, and get to the league. And so he's done a great job at that. I think the Dallas area has absolutely helped him. Dallas is a lot bigger than Greenville trying to, trying to recruit. Not saying there's any excuse, but, it, you know, Dallas is, Dallas is Dallas. And so he's done a great job of utilizing – what he has at home and so he's he's built a great program you know i know last year they started eight and zero. this year they started six and zero. um smu's not going anywhere they're they're, they're going to be as long as they have sunny dykes they're going to be a good program in the american for a long long time so really really tough matchup we got this weekend but um like like you know like we said they let teams hang with them so we'll see yeah um so yeah let, let's go ahead and send it over already to to one of the guys that honestly knows probably the most about smu recruiting and and how they built their team. Um, let's send it over to our friend, now friend of the podcast. We we had a fun conversation with him, and then he he was really excited about uh, doing this interview. So let's uh, send it over to Billy Embody from Twenty Four Seven Sports. He covers SMU and LSU. We we talk a little bit about LSU as well. Um, a little, I think it was a good perspective from him. So uh, yeah, here here's our interview with Billy Embody. Our next guest on the Boneyard Podcast this week, he is uh, he, he actually writes for LSU and SMU on the on the twenty four seven Sports platform. He is Billy Embody. Billy, how's it going, man? Doing well. How about you guys? I'm I'm better Doing than I deserve. Good. Yeah, <laughs> um, excited for this uh, big holiday tomorrow. Um, my, one of my favorites. But so I mentioned that you you write for. LSU and SMU, you cover both teams. Can you uh, can you kind of give us a quick perspective on uh, on your background? 
Yeah, I actually got my start way back in the scout scout.com days covering recruiting and covering uh, football and basketball while I was a student at SMU and then got out of school and stuck around Dallas and uh, had some experience in marketing and worked in PR uh, for a couple of years out. And by that point, um, my old boss uh, on the SMU site left uh, for another opportunity. And so I kind of slid into that role as the publisher and then ran it for a few years and said, Hey, I'd really like to do this full-time because it wasn't a full-time gig to cover SMU at that point. And uh, my boss said, yeah, you know, let's go through some options. And so about five years ago, I moved down to Louisiana and I've been covering SMU, SMU and LSU uh, ever since. It's just, you know, SMU, I went there and I just said, look, like, let's not mess with what's going on with that site. It's doing okay. And, and uh, so they agreed and it's, it's worked out pretty well. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. Gotcha. Is it, is it hard covering uh, both schools, LSU and, and SMU, or does your love for football kind of just take over that? Yeah, you kind of nailed it. I mean, it, it's uh, something where Mondays are really busy. Mm-hmm. Game days can kind of be tough to uh, manage at times. I mean, the good thing I think is that most of the sites on the network and and you want to always cover games really, really well, mm-hmm. but it's everything around the games. It's it's the press conferences. It's the recruiting scoop. It's covering, you know, commitments. It's maybe going out and watching high school games on Friday night, it's getting team, you know, scoop ahead of the game, who's going to be out, who's going to be in things like that. And so when the game gets on, it's kind of like a celebration, which is how game day kind of should be. It's everybody getting, getting on the board and just kind of chatting it up. So it's uh, rare occasions. I've got two, two TVs going, you know, maybe LSU on the top, ask me on the bottom or vice versa and, and just kind of watching both. But for the most part, I've actually been pretty lucky in the, in the five years, doing it where uh yeah they don't really overlap too much got you got you and I was also gonna ask you know LSU specifically I, I know they lost a lot of seniors from from last year but do you expect them to come out and look like this this year to kind of have a losing record coming into to this season you know I didn't think uh I didn't think they'd come out the way they did and I think a lot of that has to do with Miles Brennan their quarterback going down mm. there were a lot of high expectations for him to take over as a redshirt junior from Joe Burrow uh, he was one of the I think he was top two, top three in the SEC in passing after the first couple weeks. And, mm-hmm. you know, they rolled out a true freshman quarterback uh, in TJ Finley and and at times Max Johnson over the past few games. But, yeah, I think it is a team that they had a lot of issues in the first three games. And I just you you want to think that it would have been a little bit better with Miles Brennan at the helm. But, right. uh, you know, in those three games, I mean, he did go one and two in a team that was clearly rebuilding clearly um had somewhere around 18 to 20 new you know new starters by the end Mm um you know when they got when they got to kick off of the first game and I just think people including myself underestimated how how much time it would take to kind of put all the pieces together and get it get it back rolling right now Billy I want to kind of shift gears and, and talk about ECU's opponent this weekend SMU um, looking at it, I mean, SMU, they, on paper, they, they look like a very good team. Um, what, what can you maybe tell me about, about the Mustangs? Yeah, I think this year's SMU team, and it's kind of like 2020 and overall, it, it's a little frustrating for SMU fans. You know, they came off of the 10-win team last year uh, that started, at, I think, 8-0, and then 
uh, finished uh, two and three down the stretch. I mean, losses to really good teams in Memphis and, and Navy in the regular season. And then the bowl game, they kind of fell apart. And so going into this year with everybody back and, and all the things, all the pieces they had coming back, expectations were really high. I mean, this is a team that was expected to put up, you know, 50 points every single game and make it look easy uh, with Shane Bouchelle and Reggie Robertson and uh, Danny Gray coming in and Rasheed Rice back and Kylan Granson, one of the better tight ends in the country, and then two young running backs that they were really excited about. And for whatever reason, it hasn't always looked like that. There are certain games where they've been clicking and things have been good. And uh, there that was, uh, you know, for the most part in the non-conference. And then uh, they looked really good against Navy uh, where they jumped out to a big lead. They jumped out to a big lead against Memphis and kind of had to hang on to that one. And they, they've just kind of been Jekyll and Hyde at times. And the thing that I go back to with this team to kind of just give you an idea of their focus is that their whole goal this entire year has just been to play as many football games as they possibly could, whether that is however it happens, they just want to get to game day. The, the coaching staff, the players, they all got together and they've all been really good about honestly pretty much being hermits and following all of the protocols that SMU has in place. I mean, SMU hasn't used their own locker room outside of game days uh, all season. They get dressed uh, in the concourse of the stadium. It's all spread out. It's pretty wild. Uh, all the things that they've done uh, to make sure that they don't get caught up in contact tracing, to make sure that they don't, uh, you know, get exposed as best they can. I think they've probably only had I would say two or three positive cases on the team since they got back together in July. It's pretty, it's pretty outstanding. And so that was, that was their mindset. And I think in a way it's kind of hurt them because some of the teams in the conference have been able to get a little bit more rest here and there and, you know, play, let's say five games at this point in the season or six games, whereas SMU's, uh, SMU's entering their, their ninth game of the year and, uh, or 10th game of the year, I, I believe. So it's, it's a, uh, it's been a tough season in that regard. I think the Tulsa loss is, you know, the thing that stings the most Cincinnati is Cincinnati and they're very, very good. And SMU just wasn't able to finish that one. I think the way they wanted to. Um, and then Tulsa, they were on the road and that place has just been a house of horrors for them. They had a 24 to seven lead at half. And when your offense, and that kind of goes back to the expectations for this group, when your offense doesn't score a single point in the second half, that's bad. I mean, that's not yeah. <laughs> not at all what. It's not ideal. No, not not what they were want. Not what they're wanting at all. So, uh, I think the the expectations were an AAC title game appearance, and they'll obviously, I think, at this point, fall short, barring a total Tulsa collapse, mm -hmm. uh, which which things. And unless a lot of these guys come back again next year, which there's a potential that they could, uh, they'll have to you know retool a little bit and and try to get back to that level of ex expectations in the future. Yeah, and, and, and like you said, you know, SMU has been Jekyll and Hyde this year, right? They've had let a lot of teams hang with them. So what does ECU have to do in this game to pull off the upset? Man, uh, how about do what they did last year? <laughs> that, was, uh, <laughs> that was that was the game where SMU, SMU got uh, everything they could handle uh, from, from ECU last year. I mean, what a fun game, 59-51. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure it was too fun for SMU fans who were kind of thinking that one would be a nice bounce back, you know, mm -hmm. relatively – uh, you know, not not as nerve wracking of a win, but uh, the the thing ab about ECU is they just play so hard, and that's something that Sonny Dykes really 
you know, headlined, I think this year or this uh, week when talking about it at his press conference and Greenville is a tough place to play. And you, you talk about getting up for an 11 AM. Uh, I know, I don't know how the stadium is going to be there by imagine socially distanced and all that stuff, but you know, it's, it's still a difficult place to play. It's a long flight. And SMU kind of dealt with that against uh, Temple. They had a long flight up there. Uh, they, they came out against the Temple team that was, I mean, a couple players above the threshold to play. And they kind of messed around. And, and I think it was a 13-7 halftime lead. And then they kind of ran away with it in the second half when the depth kind of took over. But, um, you know, like you said, Jekyll and Hyde a little bit. Uh, and, and so unless they – unless they're ready to go and they got, you know, that extra cup of coffee in them, you know, ECU is going to give them everything they can, they can handle. And um, so they, they have got to come out fast. It's been the, it's been kind of the same uh, formula for success for SMU for the last two years, come out fast, force some turnovers. They're one of the better teams in forcing turnovers in the country and then, and then get pressure on the quarterback and protect Shane Bouchelle on the flip side. Uh, when they're able to do that, the, they can roll and they can, they can really make, uh, make things look easy, but when they don't and they, you know, kind of, you know, sleepwalk through the first you know quarter of a football game, they're, they're going to struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And the, my next question would be last year, uh, Sonny Dykes, coach Sonny Dykes brought in, I believe it was like 20 something uh, transfers. Now looking at it this year, how many of those guys that are on the team from last year, are still on the team this year. And then um, who are some guys that maybe we should be on the lookout for that maybe don't uh, jump out at you on the, on the stat sheet, but, but uh, can make an impact for, for the Mustangs. Yeah. I think for the most part, uh, all those transfers that, that they had brought in uh, going into last year are still on the roster, maybe save for a couple. Uh, and they're, they're pretty particular about who they travel you know, to try to cut down on that contact tracing and, and things like that. So they'll bring, They'll probably travel uh, 58 players, which is, you know, kind of NFL-like, but uh, certainly not what colleges are used to. Uh, a, a few new names that they have in terms of the transfer front, Chris Nagar, the kicker, is one of the better kickers in the country. Uh, he didn't attempt a field goal at Texas in his four years, uh, sitting behind uh, Cameron Dicker. Uh, but he's come in and been, you know, for the most part, really good. He He's kind of fallen off his first few games where he was kicking game winning field goals and making five field goals a game, but he's kicked the ball out of the end zone. Uh, he's got the leg to kick it from anywhere on the field for the most part. So he's, he's been a big upgrade there. Uh, SMU special teams were pretty poor last year. Mike Williams is a Stanford defensive line transfer that you'll see him in the middle uh, as well. Uh, and then they brought in a few junior college players that I think, you know, in terms of transfers, you got to highlight Danny Gray, the wide receiver should be back, should be ready to go. Uh, he's he's explosive when healthy. Uh, he's kind of been a little up and down, but when he's on, I mean, he's pretty he's pretty darn good. And uh, and then on on the junior college front and the defensive line, they also got Devere Levelston um, and Junior Aho, who will play a lot. And then cornerback uh, Brandon Crosley uh, Lee is tied for the lead, I believe, in, in interceptions in the country with four. Uh, he's pretty dynamic, and he's he's just a uh, he's just a true sophomore which I guess he'll be a, a true sophomore again next year. I don't know how the eligibility will work and how they'll you know, assign those classes to those guys for next year. But he's in his second year of college football. He transferred from Colorado State after a freshman year last year. Got you. Got you. And I had, I had asked Rich this in the interview yesterday that we did 
Um, but I kind of want to get your opinion. Who do you feel is the best program in the state of Texas right now? Because SMU is making a strong case for that. It's probably Texas A&M, I would okay. say. I mean, it, it's, you know, the, the, where they're ranked, uh, where, the, where Jimbo Fisher has that program right now, it's probably Texas A&M. Texas is probably the program that, that obviously is not meeting expectations at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, they're still in the Big 12 title race, but it just hasn't gone, you know, the way obviously Tom Herman and them have wanted it to go um, since that Sugar Bowl win. So I, I would say probably Texas A&M, SMU in terms of a program is probably one of the right there in terms of stability, in terms mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, where they're at uh, playing wise. I don't necessarily know that they could go to College Station or College uh, Texas A&M could come to Dallas and SMU could beat them by any means, especially mm-hmm. the way SMU's played this year. Uh, but SMU could certainly give Texas a run for their money without a doubt. They beat TCU last year. They could probably beat TCU again this year. Uh, and then Texas Tech has fallen on hard times. So, uh, and then Houston is, is pretty, uh, pretty up and down as well. So yeah. I, I would say it's, it's Texas A&M and then, and then probably SMU right, right behind them. And if, if from an ECU fan, it's kind of nice to be able to say we had a pretty bad year and we're still seven and two. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's just that the expectations were so high and, and going into the season, you probably just didn't realize one, how I think the off season and how they handled the off season so that they could play football probably mm-hmm. affected the team in general. They just took some time to get into more, you know, game shape, but they, they probably weren't going to beat Cincinnati just kind of looking at that game. Now they yeah. lost Reggie Robertson. They lost TJ McDaniel. Uh, Reggie Robertson is Blitnikoff awards semifinalist from last year. Uh, he was one of three wide receivers to average hundred yards uh, at the point of the season when he went down last year. He was off to a ridiculous start again this year for him to get hurt and tears ACL. That was a huge blow to this team. And then TJ McDaniel was doing a great job of just pounding away early in the games, setting things up for Ulysses Bentley to come in and be that fresh, quick back and, and kind of, you know, uh, run away from a tired defense. So they, they've really had to adjust without those two guys. Um, it'd be really interesting to see where this team would be at with them. I'm not so sure they beat Cincinnati, but uh, they, they probably beat Tulsa in all likelihood uh, if they have those two guys. It, they just made such a big difference for this team in their offensive game plan. Yeah, and that uh, that that kind of leads me into my next question. So, looking at it, um, you, you talked a little bit about like how, or just a couple minutes ago, you talked about how um, SMU is one of the top programs in in the state of Texas. Now, could you talk to me from an outsider's perspective? It's one of the questions I like to ask. Looking at ECU, ECU's had some down years over the past five years. Um, what what would you say from from an outsider's perspective is uh a good synopsis of ECU? Well, one, I think Mike Houston it just needs time there. It, it's a mm-hmm. program that I think ever since Ruffin McNeil left, that it, it's kind of just been in, you know, a constant sense of change, at least from an outsider's pr- perspective. And uh, they, they had some chances, I think, earlier this year, you know, obviously Norfolk State. State um, you never know what would have happened if they would have gotten a chance to play Marshall. Uh, but it, it's a team that, probably hasn't lived up to the expectations, at least defensively this year. Uh, but I think Mike Houston's on the, you know, fairly on the right track. It's not an easy schedule that 
that ECU got dealt either. Uh, it really, really hasn't been just kind of looking at it um, with, with the likes of Cincinnati and Tulsa and Navy uh, on, and UCF on the schedule uh, just from that point of view. Uh, but, I mean, it's a fun program from everything I've heard to, to go and play for. I think they do a good job uh, for the most part getting athletic guys that can really run. Uh, they always seem to have a quarterback. Uh, no matter who the coach is uh, for the most part. And I mean, Greenville is a cool place to go play college football. I think anybody who gets a chance to go visit there, I haven't yet, but everybody I've gone, uh, I've heard uh, about going to go see a game there. It's a lot of fun. And uh, so it's a program that should probably be a little bit above where it is, but Mike Houston just needs time. I mean, we've seen the flashes uh, from him over the last couple of years in terms of what he could be able to do there. Uh, it's just a matter of you know, piecing it all together. It's, it's a weird year this year. Um, but between what he's done last year and this year, I mean, I do think he's on the right track, even though the record this year is probably a little bit of a, a regression. Yeah, and I, I think to that point, I mean, that, that, that's what we're trying to let people know, especially mm -hmm. here at ECU. Um, now, you, you were able to see the, the um, transfer over to Sonny Dykes. Um, at, at SMU, how, how does ECU or can you give me kind of in, any insight into how SMU was able to transfer into Sunny Dykes and how ECU is kind of comparable to that? Yeah, I think the thing with Sonny Dykes and what his staff did is they just said, you know, it's such a win now mentality. I think uh, Chad Morris took over for June Jones and said, you know what, I'm going to build this through high school recruiting. And they only signed high school recruits, and they really didn't sign any JUCO, JUCO guys. Um, they, they, I mean, they didn't take transfers pretty much at all. I think the only transfer that I can really think of that they took is Richard Moore, which, um, you know, he, he's suffered some, you know, pretty devastating injuries, and he's still trying to fight his way back. But that's about it. Um, Tony Dykes came in and said, we've got to take JUCO guys. We've got to take transfers. They did just that. I mean, the first year that they were there, they took Reggie Robertson. They took Pat Nelson. Uh, they took uh, a couple other guys. But the next year was when it really exploded with Shane Bouchelle and um, a lot of the defensive guys they took. They took uh, some offensive line transfers. Uh, they had Kylan Granson that they brought in in that first year, who's kind of an underrated one, uh, when he got to campus as a 6'3", 210-pound receiver and turns into a 6'3", 245-pound tight end. Uh, who could run a four or five. So they just really wanted to win now. And, and they used Dallas as a way to get guys to come back and play for their hometown. And I don't know how comparable that could be with ECU. I think, you know, looking at guys on the East coast that maybe go far from college that mm -hmm. transfer back from power five schools would probably be the best way to do it. But I mean, Sonny Dykes has just used the city of Dallas and, and all the high school talent that goes and leaves the city and might not have the best experience elsewhere or graduates and says, you know what, maybe I do want to play in front of my hometown, uh, my, my family uh, for the last you know year or so of college and, and tries to get them to come back. So I think it's uh, it's, it's tough to kind of say it's, it's comparable, but that would be in terms of building it up quickly, that would probably be the best way to, to do it is attack that transfer portal, which if they approve that one year, you know, transfer waiver, it's, it's going to be something. Yeah, yeah. And I know Sonny Dice kind of built his program up at SNU rather quickly, but how long would you say it actually takes to build a legitimate program? Because we have fans that are already calling for Houston's job, and, and we both think that's ridiculous. 
I, I, I'm a big believer of, of like four years. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, I, I know that's, that's a long time in college football because if now every situation is different, right? I mean, mm-hmm. for example, Chad Morris went to Arkansas. You could tell that thing is falling apart yeah. in year two and it's probably not going to get any better on the flip side. Uh, there are other you know coaches out there that are doing a good job building you know, programs up and you can tell they're on the right track and they're going to get four years. And at the end of those four years, it might not end up being what people have wanted and it might be a five-year thing, but mm-hmm. it, at a, at a job like ECU, which has seen some turnover, uh, you know, not seen the results obviously that they've been used to. He probably needs all of four years to, to get it right. And um, I think this year is so tough. I mean, to, to judge, pretty much anyone. I mean, look at Penn state being owned five. I mean, yeah. James Franklin was one of the hottest coaches in college football. And so, um, and on the flip side, you know, programs like Indiana, you can tell that Tom Allen had done a really good job galvanizing his guys to get ready for this year. Mm-hmm. So 2020 is obviously super weird. The recruiting part of it's going to be even weirder because they didn't get a chance to eval guys. And that's where coaches really have to, do extra research to make sure they try their best that they hit on these guys because they haven't been been able to see them and see them in person uh, since early spring. And uh, so this recruiting class is going to be tough for a lot of coaches that are trying to rebuild programs. And for the most part, I mean, that's going to be, I think, a defining piece of, of how teams look a couple years down the road is this recruiting class. Did, did they load up on prospects because they needed them? They felt like they needed to get fresh blood in the program well if you're going to do that you better hit on them and uh, it's tough to do that when you can't go out and see them at all in person and get you know verified weights and heights and all those things so like I like I said I think four years um, is 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 ample amount of time to get new talent into the program and um, it to if you're seeing a positive trend then you keep it going mm. now I've only got I've only got one more question Billy it, it's kind of a different question you seeing as you cover a, a team that I mean former national champion team um, you, you cover the probably the biggest if it, it is the biggest conference SEC um, in football how close to being a quote-unquote power five conference is the American Athletic Conference I, I feel mm-hmm. like you'd probably be one of the better um, people to be able to tell us since you get to see both yeah, I think, and in, in this year, it's kind of even, you know, people kind of made fun of Tulsa over the last couple of years. I mean, they were you know, doing pay cuts and, um, you know, not able to, you know, probably fire, quite honestly, Philip Montgomery because of their, their you know, monetary situation. And uh, there are other programs in the conference like Houston and Cincinnati that, you know, clearly dump a ton of money into their coaching staffs, into their facilities. Um, SMU has done the same. Uh, Memphis has done the same now, especially in basketball. And when you look at the conference top and bottom, and then you add in the fact that UCF's in there, USF uh, has, I think, a rising star in coaching and Jeff Scott coming in. Uh, this conference is, is and Temple's always good. And, you know, ECU, we've talked about where, where they should be and have been. This conference is, is pretty darn close to a Power Five conference. The thing about it, and it's tough to kind of quantify is, if this was a power five conference and if the money was coming in, in the way that it is even comparable to power five programs, where are all the programs in the conference? You know, where, where, how, how, how much of a step up can they take? And now 
you look at Cincinnati and they're in the top 10, obviously it's tough to take that next step. Mm-hmm. But you look at the schools like Eastview, uh, where their recruiting budget would, would expand. Uh, Tulsa, same story. Could they hire even, even you know, higher quality assistants? Uh, USF, uh, you know, USF and UCF can, can be really, really good teams every year because of being in the state of Florida. I mean, that, it's, a, it's very similar to SMU and Houston uh, and, and Tulsa to an extent with its proximity to Texas. Those five should really be good just about every year. And then Cincinnati can kind of own the Midwest in terms of recruiting those guys uh, up there. And, and Temple under you know Matt Rule did a terrific job of getting athletes and being a really, really tough team to play against. So, I mean, you just thinking about what those all these programs could be with the Power Five money, it's kind of it's tough to quantify, but a lot of them are competing for the most part with Power Five programs. Now, the tough part about it is when you get that month off and before a bowl game and you somehow draw a Power Five matchup, which is even tougher to do for some reason. Does the Power Five team just rest up and is able to take care of business? And because of that depth, because of the way they've recruited, uh, are they able to to take care of business? And and that's where people say, oh well, they weren't they weren't ready for you know Power Five. They always say Power Six or whatever. But that's that's a tough draw. But over the course of a season, where in one week you've got to prepare uh, for a a Sonny Dykes offense or a Luke Fickle defense, can you do it? I, I think they're they're fairly competitive and they've shown that through the years. Yeah, that that's uh that's kind of where we're at, I guess. Um yeah. from from a power six standpoint. We always say power six on here. Um but Billy, I want to thank you for your time. Um go ahead and if you if you want to you can you can, we'll let you plug uh where people can find you on, on Twitter and, and social yeah, you can follow me at Billy Embody, and then uh, we we've got the PonyStampede.com website uh, rolling. It's it's time for basketball season too, so uh, yeah. there'll be plenty plenty of news uh, rolling on that as as uh, that starts tonight as well. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Just uh, coming across the the Twitter sphere, I, I just saw that ECU is actually going to be playing this weekend in a in one of the um, basketball tournaments. So that that's cool. After they uh, they yeah, backed they out dropped of- out of one. They backed out of the Gulf Coast Classic. ECU just announced they'll be playing in the 49ers Classic. So that'll be that'll be good to see. But um, best of luck to to you, Billy, and uh, mm-hmm. thank you for joining us on the Boneyard Podcast. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the happy church. Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Absolutely. To you too. Take care. Once again, that was our interview with Billy Embody. He, uh, he, he, like I said, he covers uh, SMU and LSU on 24-7 sports. I had a fun time talking to him. Um, it was a little bit of a different interview considering he covers two teams in, in, in two different conferences um, and that are they're both very good. Um, LSU's kind of fallen off a little bit this year, but um, they, they lost Joe Burrow. Um, Hardy, what what did you think about talking to Billy? I, I really enjoyed his unbiased opinions. I mean, he was really straightforward, really to the point. Um, when we asked him about the SEC and we asked him about, you know, the American possibly being a, you know, a, a true power six conference, he gave his honest opinion. And he was like, you know, he, he kind of had the opinion that everybody else we've asked, you know, the Americans right there. And uh,
money. And I really like that he hinted at the money aspect, that the American does not get paid the same way these other Power Five conferences do. And if they were getting paid, if you had your Cincinnati's, your Memphis's, your SMU's, your UCF's getting paid, like the likes of your Michigan's, your Ohio State's, your USC's, your, you know, South Carolina's, then they'd be right there in the top five, top 10, top 15 every single year without question. And so I really like how he hinted at that. Um, really enjoyed the interview. I think the people are going to love it. Yeah, I, I thought that was a, a, a good interview that we had with, with Billy. Now, I will say, um, looking at SMU, we, we, I, I honestly haven't had a chance to really watch them um, this mo- that much this year. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you all. I, uh, I don't watch much football or much college football outside of ECU. Just come on, my, baby. Well, just, hey, I'm married, man. You're not married. I, I, I know, I know, I know, but I'm just saying we host a podcast now. You got to watch a little bit. You got to, you got to keep up with a little bit, man. I, yeah. That, that I, I, I try to watch, <laughs> but, 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 but you are right. I am not married. I know if I, if I had a wife, whatever wife he wants to watch, whatever wife he wants to do on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, that's just what I got to do. <laughs> happy wife happy life now i will exactly. i will say i i haven't been able to really keep up with them and I, I i know i mean i knew who shane buchelle was coming into this coming into the today or coming into the this week um this, this game against smu i will say that i'm uh i'm excited to to see how ecu matches up with with smu especially after last year where ecu only lost by eight um 59-51 in Dallas. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it was nice to get – We have, our next guest, we'll, uh, we'll, I'm about to throw it over to them. Our next guest, Rich Phillips. I mean, he – you want to talk about somebody that knows the ins and outs of the game? Yeah. This guy, I mean, he, he's the play-by-play voice. I mean, we've had some other play-by-play voices on. Um, Pete Medhurst um, from from Navy, he, he was on. He, he gave us some good a good perspective, but – I really liked what uh, what Rich had to say and kind of how he uh, talked about the different schemes and, and different uh, players that, that to watch out for. I mean, he very knowledgeable, um, most knowledgeable person that I think we could talk to about SMU. So uh, let, let's go ahead and send it over to him, and then uh, and then we'll uh, start talking about SMU ECU and break break this game down. How's that sound? Absolutely. All right, here's Rich Phillips, play-by-play voice of the SMU Mustangs. This week on the Boneyard Podcast, one of our guests is the play-by-play voice of the SMU Mustangs. He's been calling SMU football for 20 years. He also calls SMU basketball um, for play-by-play. He is Rich Phillips. Rich, how's it going, man? Good. How you doing, guys? I'm doing I'm doing great, man. I'm I'm, I'm good, chilling. good, very good. Uh, we we're recording tonight, and uh, we're we're previewing the the SMU ECU football game this this weekend. Rich, I just kind of I want to just kind of hop right in and ask you from from an outsider's perspective, what is something that uh, maybe most people won't realize or don't don't realize about SMU and and the style of football that they play. Well, you know, with uh, Sonny Dykes here, and of course, he's been uh, one of the guys has uh, been on the forefront for many years on a run and shoot type offense, spread offense, and things like that. Um, but I think people will be surprised how much they'll run the football. You know, Ulysses Bentley, 
He's a redshirt freshman running back for the Mustangs this year, and probably Saturday he's going to break the school record for freshman rushing yards, breaking records that guys like Eric Dickerson had and Craig James back in the year, in the day. So uh, they'll run the football a lot more, I think, than people expect. They're averaging as a team 188 yards on the ground, and so certainly uh, they won't shy away from Shane Bouchelle throwing the ball, but they they'd like to set it up by by running it 25, 30 times a game. Yeah, and. You, you mentioned you mentioned Shane Bouchelle. That I mean, that's somebody that I mean a lot of people had on the on the Heisman watch list earlier in the season and to start the season. Um, can you kind of give us a little insight into his type of play and and how he's been doing this year? You know, efficient is the thing that always comes to mind with Shane. And his completion percentage is approaching sixty five percent. He's probably going to set a school record for a single season in that category this year. He's, I believe, second in the nation in passing yards, uh, top 10, I know, in passing touchdowns, but he's just efficient. His touchdown to interception ratio is almost ridiculous. It's 21 to four this season, and two of the four interceptions were week one this year. He's been that solid, that consistent, and, and that's what we've seen out of him for two years here at SMU. Now, talking a little further about Bouchelle, is he someone that you think can can play on Sundays? Like, do you see him going to the draft and playing on Sundays, or do you think he's just a great college quarterback? I certainly think he's got a chance to be in the league. How much he plays in the league, I don't know. Um, but a uh, guy who's going to throw for almost 8,000 yards in two years here at SMU and add in his Texas time uh, he had at University of Texas, he'll be over 11, almost 12,000 yards in his collegiate career. He's, his collegiate career. He certainly will get a look. Um, not the worst thing in the world to be uh, a backup in the league, I would think. Uh, a former SMU quarterback, Josh McCown, I saw just signed a three-year deal, uh, two- or three-year extension to come back with the back as the backup of the Texans. And he was at SMU so long ago that I wasn't calling the games when he was here. That's how long he's been in the league. It's a 20-year career he's yep. had in the league. So I, I certainly think Shane's going to get a look in the league. Uh, the big question is because of COVID and the – chance that everybody can have to come back next year and have another year of eligibility that's our question we don't know the answer to yet is he going to come back is he going to look to head to the nfl uh, i would think given he's now five years in to college basically uh with his time at texas and time at smu i would think he's probably leaning towards going but we'll have to wait and see yeah and i know we'll gotcha, accept him gotcha. back if he wants to come back by the way we'll be happy to take him right back. yeah, yeah uh, of course you would <laughs> um and, and who wouldn't now Looking at uh, looking at this team, it, like you said, it's coached by Sonny Dykes. Um, he's been there for a little bit now. Can, can you tell me kind of like what his coaching style is? What I mean, you you talked about their spread offense, but just kind of go into the mind of, of Sonny Dykes for me. You know, he's been a tremendous um, tremendous marketer of the program. He's done a great job helping SMU kind of reconnect with the city of Dallas because it's not been uh, really well connected over the years. He's done a tr an unbelievable job in recruiting and especially kind of on the fly. He's figured out like some other schools have, but really figured out that transfer market. It's kind of what has gotten them going so quickly. This only is third season here uh, and transfers like Shane Bouchelle, who grad transferred here. Uh, Reggie Robertson, who's out hurt right now, but was the leading receiver this year and one of the top receivers last year. He was a transfer Sonny's first year from West Virginia. A uh, ton of guys have transferred in, and then it's kind of helped the lure some of the high school kids to come here to where the inroads he's made in recruiting has been amazing and different kinds of athletes that he's bringing in here. And then when it comes to coaching and the game day, obviously he has a huge hand in, in everything that's going on, especially on the offensive side. But 
he does let his coaches coach Garrett Riley, who um, you know was at East Carolina at one time. Garrett's a first year offensive coordinator here. He's calling all the plays. He lets his coaches coach. If he doesn't like something, he'll let them know, but he lets them do their job. He oversees everything. And uh, I can't remember seeing a coach that I feel knows the rules as well as he does every Saturday afternoon, knows when to get after the official because of things like that every Saturday afternoon and is prepared for just about any and every situation when it comes up, there just never, never seems to be any second guessing on his part. Yeah. And, and, you know, Texas is such a huge football state. How was he able, you know, especially on a recruiting standpoint, how was he able to kind of stay in front of that with all those big D one schools in Texas? So being a former Texas high school coach himself at one time and from Texas and then coaching many years as an assistant at Texas Tech before he moved on to Louisiana Tech, he had a lot of inroads already with high school coaches within the state. Uh, he's done a great job of bringing in some other guys to his staff that have good ties with the high school coaches in this state. And then, again, that transfer market that he hit on initially and still is hitting on, by the way, think some of these high school kids started to see hey man it does work there they are able to win football games there and have some success and so guys that are you know maybe going to be on the cusp of getting to play right away at a bigger place like texas well they do have a chance to play right away if they come to smu and i think he's been able to convince some guys that and uh, you know we we got another transfer this year justin osborne starting at right guard almost the entire season he's a redshirt freshman who actually went to auburn last year but he's from dfw went to auburn played a little bit was able to get his red shirt decided he wanted to come home and he transferred in august and got here missed the first game of the year because he hadn't cleared covid protocol yet because he got here so late and now he's entrenched as a starter at right guard and and he's just a again a different kind of athlete than what we had seen brought in here much of the last 20 years yeah and now SMU they they've had a kind of a, a wild a wild season um they uh, they spent quite a bit of time ranked in the top 25 um they they're not ranked currently they last week they had the game postponed um against against in-state rival Houston can you kind of tell me kind of the ebbs and flows of, of this uh this season i know i know the last game y'all played it, it was a four point loss to Tulsa we we know how that goes yeah, yeah. I don't think ours was quite stolen as much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll let Tulsa have credit. They they rallied back. They were down twenty-one nothing early second quarter. SMU was ahead of twenty-one nothing on Tulsa. They rallied back. They they took care of uh, their business in that game. Uh, you know, just kind of like last year, got off to a great start last season. SMU was eight and zero before they had that uh, Saturday night primetime ABC matchup against Memphis that was a crazy football game. Um, this year, a great start, too, undefeated going into the Cincinnati game. And I think we've all seen here in recent weeks, there's a reason Cincinnati keeps them mowing through teams because they are that good. Uh, and the real deal. Yeah, they are. They, they, they look fantastic, I think, uh, every bit of that top 10 ranking they have. Uh, then they bounced back with wins over Navy and Temple and then had the, uh, the stumble at Tulsa. Uh, it's taken maybe a little bit of the shine off of the season, although they still have a chance to make it to the conference championship game. Unfortunately, they have to have Tulsa lose three times for it to happen, and SMU's got to win yeah. their last two games. It's still out there, and I know they still kind of preach that with their players a little bit. Uh, they still have goals they can accomplish, but uh, it's yeah, the last few weeks have certainly been a little bit more up and down for them. Yeah, and, and go ahead, oh, Artie. Go ahead, Artie. No, no, I was, I was just going to ask. You know, in the state of Texas, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, 
the, the, the marquee program, which is Texas University, has kind of been down. What would you say is the big name program in Texas right now? And SMU has a strong chance, a, le a legitimate chance of saying that they are. What would you say is the is the big name program in Texas right now? Well, I guess it's Texas A&M because they the came best, out. Or the best program. I guess it's A&M. Texas A&M came up fifth in the uh, CFP, the first CFP rankings I saw today. So I guess it's the Aggies. Uh, they they get a little bit lost in the shuffle here these days because they moved to the SEC and so they don't play anybody in state. Uh, but I, I think A&M certainly has to be uh, at the top of the heap. Certainly Texas gets uh, all the hype and all the publicity. And then they also get the controversy and the people that are already questioning yeah. the coach who's only been there for a few years. Uh, SMU is doing a great job yeah. of putting themselves in the conversation, which again, before Sonny Dykes was here, that just didn't happen. Uh, June Jones mm -hmm. took the school to four straight bowl games from 09 to 12, but they weren't in the conversation with being in the top 25 at that point because they didn't, they didn't knock off anybody really that they weren't supposed to beat. And uh, that's what Sonny's been able to do. He's, he's beaten four ranked teams in three seasons here. The previous seven coaches to him beat three ranked teams total. He's been just three years. So wow. he's really done a great job of putting this program to where they're at least in the conversation in the state now. That, that's great. Yeah. That's great to hear. Now I, I want to, can you tell me a little bit about uh, what we'll, what ECU can see on expect to see on defense this weekend? So defensively, SMU's gotten better the last couple of years. They're still, you know, they're they're not threatening anybody. They're not threatening top twenty-five in any defensive categories, really, except takeaways. That's the one thing they do well. Uh, they've been top ten in that category much of the season. Had an interception for a touchdown uh, two weeks ago in the uh, game at Tulsa. Uh, but what we have seen the last month, month and a half, has been that the three linebackers uh, in the middle, Richard McBride, and the outside backers, Trevor Dimbo and Delano Robinson, they really in the last, I would say, five games have been the best players on the defense, uh, particularly when you look at the Navy game. They, they did such a good job against the Navy run that SMU had more rushing yards than Navy did in that game. The next week against Temple, another team that runs the ball a lot, runs well. They were able to shut down their run game. Their three linebackers have really been probably the best part of the defense uh, in the last month and a half. Uh, they're young at safety. They've got four guys that they'll rotate back there at safety, and only one of them is a junior. The others are sophomores and freshmen, and they've been really, really solid at that spot too and uh, developing depth in the safety position. Uh, but, but really, it all starts with those three linebackers, I think, defensively. Yeah, and that do you think that kind of uh, is that is that something that you think that ECU with their, with their wide receivers can exploit um, with with their receiving core? Uh, could be their corners have been up and down for SW this season. Um, you know, Brandon Crossley's a guy who actually is a reserve. He does have four interceptions, which is near the top in the country. I know this year. Uh, but uh, their starters are Monty Johnson and Brandon Stevens. They've, they've been up and down at times. Like I said, their safeties, I think, have played really well and have been the better part of uh, their pass coverage deep into the back end. Gotcha. And I, I know you had touched on, you know, flipping over to the offensive side of the ball. I know you touched on running the game at, and SME wants to, wants to establish a good run game. And outside of, of, of Shane Bouchelle, who is an X factor on offense that ECU needs to watch out for? Uh, definitely. I think it's the tight end Kylan Granson. Uh, it's his second year here. He's a guy who transferred by the way from rice uh, a couple of years ago uh, uh, first year under Sonny, he had to sit out after transferring, and uh, he already has the school record for career receiving touchdowns by a tight end, and he's done it in less than two seasons. Um, and since the injury to Reggie Robertson, who was really the home run threat 
in the wide receiving group, Kylan's become much more of a factor in the passing game. Now, last week against Tulsa, he kind of didn't get to run nearly as many of his routes because we had an injury at left tackle. Jalen Thomas was out. They had to start a true freshman, so they kept Granson in, the tight end in, to help out a lot more in pass protection. That should not be the case this mm. week. Jalen Thomas should start at left tackle. So Granson's a guy who, you know, keep your eye on because uh, he was a he ran track in high school, so he's not your typical tight end. He's got a lot of speed in him, too. Gotcha. Yeah, and we, we talked a little bit about recruiting, but the size of the size of the kids that coming out states like Texas, Oklahoma, those, those middle America states, um, it, does SMU do do they get to benefit from that as well? The the size up front. This, this is again. I'm going to give credit to Sonny Dykes here. Sound like I'm his PR guy, but it's <laughs> the case. He's bringing in offensive linemen that are different than the guys that we have seen. Uh, in years past I mentioned the left tackle Jalen Thomas he he began starting uh, two years ago in the middle of his true freshman season at left tackle and he has stayed there the only reason he's missed a game was because of injury a couple of weeks ago Uh, Justin Osborne I mentioned to you the transfer right guard who is a redshirt freshman and pretty much starting every single game over there they've had a junior college transfer in Bo Morris at right tackle and then their center and other guard Alana Lee and Hayden Howerton are a couple of guys that actually are holdovers from Chad Morris days, but have just gotten better and better uh, playing under Sonny. Uh, we've got a few backups we have seen, like Marcus Bryant, the true freshman who had to start at left tackle last week. He's starting to get more uh, just, just different-looking bodies, if you will, for <laughs> offensive linemen. You know, guys that that uh, don't look uh, – they're not big, fat guys playing on the offensive line. They're big. They definitely are big. But uh, he's been able to figure out a way to get some of them here and – Look, that's where it all starts. So that's one of the things he told me day one when he got here. He didn't feel like there was just enough offensive linemen numbers-wise, period, good or bad. He didn't feel that they were recruiting enough offensive linemen every year, and he has made sure he has five, six, seven, even eight offensive linemen he tries to bring in every year in a recruiting class. The fact is you're going to miss on some of them. You've got to find the guys that can play. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, honestly. And, I mean, and who on – I was just going to say, honestly, I think that's been one of our problems in, in the past couple of years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We, we, I mean, we, we say it every week. Our offensive line is probably the weakest point of our, of our offense. Or this of is the team. first time we're not saying that here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it would go O-line and then D-line for us. So, we definitely got to share those two spots up. Are you here but a question? Who if, if, yeah, who if who if anybody on ECU side of the ball matchup wise kind of scares you or, or gives you caution to cause? Well, certainly your quarterback after what we saw last year. I know Ehlers hasn't had quite the same season this year as he had last year, but he threw for about 500 yards and I think six touchdowns last year. So definitely he's on the radar for SMU. And then Tyler Snead, the receiver, because he had a 200 some odd yard day as well. Uh, those I know the, mm-hmm. the the two prime guys that uh, have everybody's notice. And then uh, is it Rajai Harris? I believe the running back looks like he's had a great season. I know that's somebody they've got to be able to slow down there. Yeah. The football. Yeah. We're, we're really proud of our, of our two freshman running backs, Keaton Mitchell and, and Rajai Harris. He, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you've got two yeah. freshman running backs that are, that have a combined five games over hundred yards rushing um, personally. So that, I mean, that, that, that's great for us. And we're, we're excited to see that now I kind of want to, talking about last year last year was such a such a close game i believe it was 58 51 i think was was the was the um score 59 59, 59 51 yeah 
Okay, I, I was one point off. Um, <laughs> but looking at that, I know – so ECU hung in that game um, all, the whole game last year. And SMU, they, they've let some teams kind of that you wouldn't think um, should be hanging with them. They've let some teams hang with them. The, the line this week is, I believe, 11 and a half right now. What does ECU need to do to stay in this ball game and stay competitive for all four quarters? Score. Score a lot. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the MO here at SMU. Uh, last week, 24 against Tulsa was kind of the anomaly. Uh, the, the two losses have been the, the low-scoring games, obviously. 13 they had uh, in the Cincinnati game. But you look at, you know, 47. Mm-hmm. They have three games of 50-plus this season. And so, yeah. You're going to have to score to beat these guys. And, you, and unless you have a lockdown defense like Cincinnati does, or really Tulsa's defense, I was very impressed with a couple of weeks ago. Without that, you're going to have to score the football a lot on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I guess furthermore, um, do you, do you think that that is a, a, a fair line um, for this game? 11 and a half, man. I don't know. I can't get know. into those things. Yeah. I, have, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will say that I don't think those things always mean that's what anybody believes about the score. Okay. There's I, other factors. Too. I, I, I'm just but. trying, I'm just trying to get a, some, some inside <laughs> knowledge. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Don't draw me offside on that. Cause the university doesn't like that. Gotcha. Well, Artie, I, that's all I've got. Artie, do you have anything else? Yeah. I, I, I had, I had enough. All right. Well, Artie, it sounds like you're in a in a aquarium. Um, but Rich, thank you again for joining us on the Boneyard Podcast. Are you are you you're not coming to Greenville to call the game, no? This is going to be my first one to call remotely on Saturday. We've been we have traveled, we've flown twice, okay. and then we've had several ones we've driven to, but uh pretty much making the call because basketball is gonna go this way too. So yeah, I still don't get to see the new Dowdy Ficklin Stadium and the new press box. I'm very disappointed. Yeah. I don't get to see my buddy Jeff Charles up there uh, on the call on the Pirate Radio Network, too. Uh, but, yeah, so wish me luck because we've not done this before. So it's our first remote broadcast on Saturday afternoon. Well, best of luck to you. Um, yeah, Jeff Charles, friend of the podcast, he, he came on He came on several weeks ago before week one. Um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, the, uh, the press box, it, it's mighty nice. Looks like it. And, uh, I mean, I, I enjoy the, the sandwiches and the – the food up there, they've, they've always got some good food up there. So, um, that, yeah, yeah I, that, that's all I got, Rich. I can't wait to get up there. This will be my first weekend up there. Yeah, Artie, Artie's going to go. Awesome. Awesome. Well, y'all have a good one, and uh, like I said, wish me luck. <laughs> yeah, will do. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll maybe circle back with you and, and see how it goes, okay? Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Rich. Once again, that was Rich Phillips from uh, – I mean, he's the play-by-play voice of SMU. Um, really fun interview, really really knowledgeable. Like I said, mo- well, probably the most knowledgeable person about SMU and, and kind of knowing the ins and outs of what to look for and what to watch for when, when you play them. Um, I, I mean, it, I, thought it, I thought it was a good interview. Um, also talking to him and talking kind of about his path, this is, he's been in broadcasting for over 30 years, wow. calling uh, SMU games for 20. I mean, pretty pretty cool guy to talk to. He, uh, I, I when I when I was before every interview, I always t- tell these guys, I'm like, yeah, we're we're two guys. We like to drink and 
um, drink beer, drink to, like tonight vodka. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, Oh man, I should have brought my glass of wine up here. And I was like, Oh yeah, you, you go ahead and get it. He, he, he definitely could have man. Like that, that would have been awesome. He, he basically said, I don't want to walk back downstairs to get my glass. So I was like, <laughs> all right, man, <laughs> but Artie, now that we've talked to both those guys and we, we kind of have a good idea of, of what to expect mm-hmm. from SMU. I, uh, I really think that it's time for us to really break down this game and, I want to start yeah. off. I want to start off like we always do with talking about the offense, um, EC's offense. I mean, this week you have to be well balanced. I mean, you you have yeah. to you have to be able to attack on, on both on both levels from passing and rushing. Um, Ailers will have to attack the young but strong secondary of the Mustangs. I mean, you got a bunch of freshmen and sophomores that are in the secondary, but they're 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 true ballers. Um, and and I, I think ECU really – they want to have any shot at repeating what they did last year and getting over the hump and actually maybe beating SMU. That, that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to score points. Right. And, and Rich said that in his interview. He said, if you want to beat he, SMU, yeah. you, have to, you have to score he points. Was, he was very straightforward and to the point on that. He was like, look, ECU is going to have to score early, often, and a lot. <laughs> and, he's, and he's not lying. And to be honest with you, ECU kind of scared me a little bit to start the game last week against Temple. Uh, I feel like we started a little too slow. We won that game 28-3. to You know, it was pretty much a defensive shutout. We scored enough points. But at the end of the day, I, you know, we cannot start that slow against SMU. If, if it takes us almost a full quarter to score a touchdown, it's going to be 21-24-7 by the, end of the, by the end of the first quarter. So we've got to be able to start fast, score early, score often, um, once again, we're, you know, we're going to need a big day from one of those receivers. I think we need a big day from – it doesn't matter who. It doesn't matter whether it's Blake Pro, Tyler Sneed, or C.J. Johnson. We need a big day from one of them, and we need a good day from the rest of them. Um, yeah. We know what Rajay Harris and Keaton Mitchell are going to do. I'm, I'm not worried about Rajay Harris. I'm not worried about Keaton Mitchell. With the offensive line that we have, they're still able to co- go out and do what they do. I'm not worried about those two. They're going to go out and, and, and get their numbers. But that's not going to be enough to win us the game. And so, obviously – Holton's going to have to be on, on his A game from start to finish. This is going to have to be one of those games where he lets everybody know, okay, I'm coming in the next year, guns are blazing. Like I'm, like, I'm ready to go. You know, even if we don't win this game, he, you know, Holton has to come out and have the kind of game where it's like, okay, I, I really want to let you guys know I'm tired of the haters. I'm tired of everybody saying, oh, we need to throw Mason Garcia in there. No, 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 no. Screw all of that. This is what I'm about. And so we have to have a big game from him, big game from one of our receivers, and a comparable yep. game from one of the rest of them. Yeah, I, I think Tyler, – so Tyler Sneed last year, he put up – I mean, he had a hell of a day. He had 19 receptions, 240 yards, and three touchdowns. C.J. Johnson, uh, he had he'd gotten hurt early in the game and didn't really play last year against SMU. So I, I would – I know they're, they're probably going to be double-teaming Tyler Sneed. I, Donnie Kirkpatrick, we'll, we'll get to the press conferences here in a little bit, but Donnie Kirkpatrick, I mean, he said – he was like I – told, I told Tyler Sneed, they probably gave every guy on their defense – a picture of you there it's in their locker they know who you are they they're they're coming after you so um mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if smu has to double team tyler sneed to try to keep him from repeating what he did last year so hopefully that'll open up open up a little bit more for for right. cj jo- cj johnson and i mean I, I i think if anybody's gonna have a big day in the receiving court i think it's gonna be cj 
And we, and we know that SMU has a young secondary. They're a good secondary, but they're young, and they have been kind of inconsistent at times. If you want, you can, you can double Tyler Sneed at your own risk. But I'm telling you right now, if C.J. Johnson or Blake Pro, it doesn't matter which one, but if one of them shows up prepared and inspired, double Sneed if you want to, one of those guys is going to be open almost every play. Dan, that's just the God's honest truth. Yeah. And, I mean, that, that, that's something that, I mean, I think that ECU knows that, and ECU's probably game planning for that, and hopefully can uh, can get can get the ball to those guys. I mean, th- those those are your playmakers. I mean, we we talk mm-hmm. all we talk all the time how ECU is built. ECU is a skilled team. The, their their problem is they they can't they can't actually convert on on these with these skilled guys because I mean we we right. said it. I mean. Ehlers doesn't – I mean, he doesn't have time to, to sit in the pocket and, and make his – go through his reads and, and, and make the correct play all the time. Sometimes he'll, he'll hit them for a, for a big explosive play, but you got to have guys that can get open quickly. And I, I think our skill guys can, but it, mm-hmm. it'll be – this will be a test. And the, the biggest test of the year was Cincinnati. But this is going to be – I mean – we talk. There's a lot of good defenses in this conference, and SMU is one of them. But they've also been known to kind of, I don't, I don't want to say play down to their opponent. I mean, they they only beat Temple by I believe three or four points, mm-hmm. and they allowed Temple to score like 24 points. I, I believe that game was 27-24, um, if, if I if I remember correctly. The this SMU will allow teams to hang with them, and I I think that's. I think that's probably the biggest issue with SMU, and that that's um, the biggest hope for ECU is is if ECU, if ECU can actually hang with them and, and score often, like like Rich Phillips said we would have to do. Yeah. ECU has a chance at, at upsetting SMU this week. Um, Ehlers last week, I mean, he was or last year was thirty two for forty two um, and with four hundred ninety eight yards and six touchdowns against SMU, and I mean, <laughs> it's a monster day. To to put up those kinds of numbers and still lose, I mean that. Any that other, should never happen. That should never. You should never put up those numbers and lose, Jared. You should and, never put up those numbers and lose. And, and luckily, ECU. I mean, I, I believe they're a little more improved this year on, on defense. I mean, it's, it's one of those question marks, but um, I, I think that ECU is um, is more improved this year and, and probably more ready to kind of make that step and I, I think that ECU has to really start making that step and, and and get to that point and this this could be I know I've said it uh, a couple times this year this this could be the one of those um, signature wins for ECU it's not against a ranked team but I mean it, it's against a team that should be ranked and, and would be ranked in I think in any normal year and and, and you hinted at it I mean the 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 fault in ECU's offense is not moving the ball. We saw this against UCF. We saw this against Tulsa. We saw it against Navy. We pretty much seen this against everybody. We can move the ball. We can, we can, we can go up and down the field. It's about finishing. And then we've had times to score field goals. We, we might've missed field goals or the field goals have gotten blocked or we're just not capitalizing on opportunities to score touchdowns. The goal for ECU, we can move the ball. That's, that's, that's not our problem. It's about finishing. Can we actually get it in the end zone on those drives where we get into the red zone. I, I can't tell you how many red zone appearances we've had where we've only gotten a field goal, but we've gotten no points at all. 
Yeah. And, and that's, that's alarming. And so the next step for our offense, and we could see that this weekend, is finishing on those drives. Can we get seven instead of three? That's how we're going to beat SMU. And like you said, the, the defense this year has been real opportunistic. And I've said that over and over again. They've gotten a lot of turnovers. They've gotten quite a few sacks. And I love that. But can we hold somebody under 30 points? For the love of God, can we hold somebody under 30 points? I don't see it happening this weekend. No. SMU is a phenomenal offense. I the, do not see that happening this weekend. The, but this game, go ahead. that's the next evolution in our defense. Yeah, this uh, this game is – I mean, if ECU's going to win this game, it's going to be in a shootout. If ECU's going to win, yes, it is. it's going to be in a yeah. shootout just like last year. Um, I mean, that, that that's – make no bones about it. SMU, they have a high-powered offense. They can hang crooked numbers on anybody. Um, that's, really, that's what they hang their hat on is their offense. And really the only team they haven't done that against this year is Cincinnati. But we all know Cincinnati is in, a, in another class right now. Um, mm -hmm. Top 10 team in the country. I, I believe they're a top five team. But um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, they're well balanced. And you got to beat them in the trenches. And that once again, it goes back to the thing that we've been saying all year long. ECU. On both sides of the ball, offense and defense, they're, they're not winning in the trenches as much as we would like them to. Um, right. that, a lot of that has to do with, uh, with maturity and, and um, kind of that age. I mean, you, you got a lot of underclassmen, freshmen, sophomores, some juniors, but they're, they're, they're not really – I mean, they're not there yet. They're not mature enough yet. To, to know and they're not skilled yet or I don't want to say skilled but they're not you know what I'm saying they're, they're not really yeah, they're, they're not there yet they're not there yet yeah exactly they're not there yet but uh SMU I mean they're led by Texas transfer quarterback Shane Bouchelle this year he's he's thrown uh 207 passes on 320 uh attempts 21 touchdowns four interceptions four interceptions and 21 touchdowns this guy <laughs> That's pretty good. That's insane. That's I mean, pretty good. He he's averaging just under seven touchdowns per interception. Um, that I mean that, that you can't, what can you say? What that tells me is he he has time to sit in the pocket behind a behind a good offensive line because they have a lot of transfers on that offensive line. I know there's a I believe there's centers from a transfer from Stanford. They've got a transfer from Auburn on that offensive line. Those are the transfers that they've gotten. Um, Real, I mean, <laughs> it's insane how 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 good that uh that SMU offense is, but mm -hmm. I think that the guy that I mean I have I hadn't heard much about until doing this research this week, uh, Ulysses Bentley. I was, I was I was if you didn't say that name I was going to say that name. I'm happy you said it. They're they're uh the running back. I mean, <laughs> 158 carries, 877 yards, and 11 touchdowns. This guy I mean he leads the conference in rushing. Um, by several hundred yards. I believe it's like some like 200 some yards. And I, I think Roger he's, Harris is number two or three in the conference. Yeah. He's basically averaging 100 yards a game. Yeah. They've played nine games. He has 877 yards. He's averaging 100 yards a game. And he has 11 touchdowns. What is yep. that? One, one, point, one point something touchdown a game? He's guaranteed a touchdown a game. And he's guaranteed 100 yards. That's, that's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And I didn't know the SMU had the kind of run game that they have. This kid is scary. I did not know that. I know that now. This kid is scary. And it's one of those, like, like I said, it's one of those guys that you hear so much about Shane Bouchelle. I mean, there was talks about him 
maybe having a shot at the Heisman earlier in the year um, before mm-hmm. before all the teams really start coming back. I mean, when you have when you have a we we say it all the time when you have a balanced offense, one that can run the ball and throw the ball, you're deadly. You're, you're damn deadly. near unbeatable. Yeah. You're damn near unbeatable. All you have to have is is a decent defense. You don't have to have a good defense. You don't have to have 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 to have a great defense. Just decent. Yeah, when you're just when decent. You're, when you're hanging, I mean, looking at it, uh, SMU. I'm, I'm pulling it up real quick. SMU, I believe, is averaging over 45 points per game um, every single week. So here, one second, I'll, I'll tell you how much they're averaging. SMU is averaging. Okay, I, I was wrong. They're they're averaging just under 39 points per week. ECU to put a lot of points, Jared. To put it into <laughs> perspective, a lot of points. To put it into perspective, ECU's averaging 28 points per game. I mean, that's this team is. I mean, <laughs> they and, can do it. And look, 28's not too shabby. You know what I mean? Like no. like 28 is not too shabby. You're averaging 40 points a game. Are you kidding me? So, yeah, I mean, look, if, if, if ECU has any shot of winning this game, it's going to be a shootout. We know that the Shane Bouchelle, um, you know, this, this is a guy that I think has an opportunity to play on Sundays. I don't know if he's going to come back. I think he will come back for that, for that extended year to kind of boast, you know, boost his, uh, his stock a little bit in the draft. And I think he's going to only play better next year. Um, obviously, he's not a first, second, or third rounder, but a potential fourth fifth or sixth rounder and he could be a sleeper he could go on a team in the, in the league and, and kind of take off um and, and so you know Shane is obviously doing this thing they got the running backs I don't know too much about their receivers um but I know it, any offense that is putting up 39 to 40 a game is well balanced like you said and that's you know this is a game that we're going to have to put up about 45 to 50 to win just being completely honest yeah also Artie I, I didn't realize this. I, I just pulled up Ulysses Bentley. Uh, I hope I'm saying Ulysses Bentley. I hope I said that name right. <laughs> this guy. What an awesome name, though. Ulysses Bentley. That's awesome. Get this. What year do you think he? What year do you think he is? Um, sophomore. I believe he's a redshirt freshman. Wow. Yep. <laughs> wow. Then you have then you have Rasheed Rice, who uh, I mean their their top receiver, their their top receiver. I would I would almost put him. Um, I mean he he he's just above Tyler Snead. Um, now ECU spreads the ball out a little bit more than than um, SMU does. I think that I think they target uh, Rice here a little bit more. Forty three mm-hmm. receptions, uh, six hundred thirty seven yards, five touchdowns. To put that also into perspective. Tyler Snead has 46 receptions for 432 yards and four touchdowns. Mm. So, <laughs> I mean, granted, they, they've played, uh, what is it, two more games than, than ECU right now. So, um, but still, that, that's, I mean, that, that's insane. I would have I, I never guessed that Bentley kid was a freshman. You know, and, and we have two great freshman running backs, too. Rajay's doing his thing. He's phenomenal. But to, to have the kind of numbers he's putting up, if he continues that, he'll be gone after his sophomore season. <laughs> he'll definitely be gone to the league. Yeah, and all three of those guys that we just talked about, all from the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them. I mean, Shane Bouchelle transferred from the University of Texas, Arlington. He's a Longhorn, but came over to uh, came over to SMU 
I mean, he knew he probably wasn't going to start behind um, Sam Erlinger. And, and now look at him. But, Artie, let, let's, uh, let's talk about how ECU – but let's, let's talk about these defenses now. I mean, yeah. SMU, like, like we talked about, they're young, but they're very good. I mean, they're, they're allowing an average of about 414 yards per game. Um, that, I mean, that's, that's still kind of high. Um, but like I said, they let teams hang, out, uh, hang around with them, right? Um, yeah. And if ECU can put up – if ECU can push 500 yards – I know, I know, we're asking a lot, but if ECU could put put up close to 500 yards, ECU that's the that's the only way ECU's going to have a shot to win. Um, they're going to have to do that. Um, but SMU allowing 28.6 points per game. I mean that that's uh, I mean that that's the number that ECU's averaging per game in, in points for. So I mean, I, I would have to it's, say that. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's not a stellar defense. You know, any defense that gives up 28 to 30 points a game, that's not a stellar defense. You know, you that's one of those defenses where, okay, the team's 7-2, and two, so we know the offense is really, really good if the defense is giving up damn near 30 a game. So, yeah, I mean, looking at it, most of these games that, that SME has played, Tulane, they beat, by, they beat by three. Memphis, they beat by three. Uh, let's see. Tulsa, they – they lost by four. Um, I'm trying to pull up that Temple game. Sorry, my my phone's acting up, but yeah, that uh, Temple. Okay, Temple. They beat 47 to 23, but it, that game was a lot closer at halftime. Um, they they allowed Temple to kind of hang in there, and then Temple. We we all know. I mean, Temple has had so many problems with keeping guys healthy this year. We saw it last week with the whole delay thing and, and whatnot. They, I mean, they, they allowed Temple, a team that scored three against ECU, to score 23 points. Right. So, and, I, and, you know, the, the big thing is long, sustained drives. If we can make this defense tired in the first half, we might not be able to get home in the first half. We might not be able to get the home runs that we're looking in the first half, keep it close in the first half, get that defense tired, Come out in the second half, still kind of chip away, chip away, chip away, break away. Midway through the third quarter, that's when we should be able to find Pater. That's where, you know, if the game is, I don't know, 28 to 17 or 24, 17, something like that, that's when ECU should be able to, okay, we've, we've made this defense tired. They've been on their toes in the first half. We start, we're starting to see that it kind of laps a little bit. They're starting to get a little lazy. That's when you strike. That's when you hit Pater. That's the kind of opportunity I see. The only opportunity I see is having winning this game is to by keeping our offense on the field for a long period of time, for a sustained period of time, having long sustained drives, and then by midway through the third quarter, we're still in a close game, and then we can find Pater with, with, uh, with the touchdowns. Yeah, now the, the biggest part to that, Artie, and ECU struggled with this this year, is not turning the ball over. Um, they they got to protect the ball. I say that every single week, and the weeks that they the weeks that they've done well, they haven't turned it over. If they turn it over, they turn it over once or twice, and that's it. You can't fumble the ball. You definitely can't throw interceptions. You can't throw interceptions. Um, I mean, Brandon Crossley, this kid, um, SMU, tied for the most interceptions in the country. Right. Four. He's got four interceptions right now. Um, I mean, 
these are these are numbers. I mean, especially through nine games. I mean, he he's averaging half an interception per game. And and a lot of times with guys like that, you like to test them early. You like to see, okay, this guy is really good coming in. He's got four or five whatever interceptions leading the country. Yada yada yada. You want to test him early. If he comes out and is like, no 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 no, I'm gonna show you who I am. That's when you can kind of game plan against him and kind of try to you know capitalize on the other athletes, the other guys on that defense side of the ball. But I think for him specifically, kind of get at him early. Maybe put C.J. Johnson on him, put Snead on him, put Prole on him, kind of kind of throw some, some, some different matchups at him, attack him early. Because if we can get him off his game, then the rest of the defense is going to say, okay, one of our leaders, one of our captains, one of our best players is having an off day. This might be a long day for us. So for him and for us specifically, attack him early see what he's about early and then game plan from there yeah smu i I just looked at it smu has nine fumbles um forced and then they and and recovered and then they also have seven interceptions so this guy i mean he has he has four interceptions i gotta think that's gonna be the guy on tyler sneed um would be really surprised if they put him on cj johnson but who knows maybe maybe they're game planning a little bit differently um, kind of thinking yeah, I mean, in line look, with us. The, the the best corner gets the best receiver. That's how it works. Yeah. that, that I mean, that, that, for sure. Um, but ECU, I mean, like I said just a second ago, ECU has to have a good day in the trenches. you got to get to the quarterback. And that's something that SMU does. SMU is very good at at getting sacks. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to look up right now how many sacks they're getting. But um, they, they've got uh, 19 – oh, no – they, they, I mean, they're they're getting to the quarterback. That, that's something that I mean, Donnie Kirkpatrick talked about in his press conference. We're about to get to the press conferences. SMU is good at that. ECU hasn't been that good at it over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, they did it against Temple last week. Um, they've done it when they, when ECU's been good. They've got to the quarterback. Tulsa did the same thing. You know, um, mm-hmm. USF same thing. You, you got to hit the quarterback, put him on his ass, and and, and force him. To, to think twice about about making a play, right? Um, you got you got to stack the box. To, if I'm if I'm EC, if I'm Don, or if I'm a friend of the podcast, Blake Harrell, I got to stack the box. You know, yeah. I mean, you still gotta you gotta have your corners, uh, your cornerbacks ready to go, and your safeties up top. But you, you gotta you gotta get four guys up there and and really kind of stuff the run. Um, and, and like we said. The SMU offensive line is going to be um, very good, and, and they give they give Shane Bouchelle a lot of time to uh, to sit in the pocket and, and make a play. So, I mean, to me, that that's one of the things you you've got to do is stop the run and have a good day in the trenches. And and the thing about our defense is, and the number one thing for me is, you have to take one away. All right, so it's a it's a very high powered offense. They're very balanced. You got Bentley, you got Shane Bouchelle. Which one are you taking away? You take away Bentley or you take away Michelle or, or, or Bouchelle and you stick with it. This is the guy, like either Bentley's going to beat us or Bouchelle's going to beat us. But both are not beating us. I'm taking one away. I am going to make you a one-dimensional offense and you're going to have to beat us with either your quarterback or your run game. But you cannot beat us with both. I think that's the big thing for ECU for this game to be able to not only keep us in it, but to give us some confidence I agree with you. Stack the box, make it very, very confusing and frustrating for Bouchelle early. 
Um, but I think the important thing for our defense is you got to take one away. You got to take that run game away. You got to take that passing game away. I, I'm not expecting us to take both away. We're not going to take both away. But focus on one, take it away, make S, make SMU beat you with a one-dimensional offense. Yeah, and you, you're two. Uh, I mean, you got three guys tied with two interceptions, and two of those guys are going to be out for ECU. I mean, Sean Dorsey and, and Warren Sa- Warren Saba. I mean. I believe Dorso's still out. I, I haven't looked at the the updated depth chart, but I, I believe he's still out. Um, Warren Saba, um, kind of friend of the podcast, he joined us on the live stream last week, which which was kind of cool. Um, he confirmed he was coming back next year, that which was also really cool. Um, you, you got you got to force turnovers. I think if ECU's going to do it, they're going to force fumbles. They're 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 not really going to. I mean, I, I said it earlier. Shane Bouchelle, he's thrown four interceptions all year. He knows how to he's make – He's a smart this. quarterback. He's not going to throw bad passes. I mean, th- and and Donna Kirkpatrick talked about it once again in the press conference, how Shane Bouchelle – I mean, he's one of those guys that – I mean, he's, he's a fifth-year um, quarterback. I mean, he, he has experience. He's one of those guys that – I mean, he's able to do the check with me. He, he's able to audible the offense. He, he can read a defense. Um, I mean – ECU's got to play smart on defense. Mm-hmm. And, and Blake Carroll talked about playing smart on defense in, in the press conference. Um, wh- what I'm saying is you're going to have to, you're going to have to make SMU put the ball on the ground. And I, I think, I think that's doable. We, we've made teams fumble quite a bit this year. Now, whether we can recover those fumbles, that that's another story, but they put ECU's made the teams put the ball on the ground several times and, and they're not gonna they're not gonna shy away from it this year put your helmet on the ball and and hopefully good things will happen yeah sadly um i i think the running back and the quarterback are, are just too good to to fumble or throw interceptions more than more than once i, I think they might have one turnover in this game but i think that's going to be it if, if we're going to hang our hat on anything we're just going to have to put our big boy pants on and and really get it done in the trenches i would love for, for us to get two three maybe even four turnovers that would be amazing I just don't see it. I don't see Bouchelle making those kind of mistakes. I don't see the running back making those kind of mistakes. They have not made them all year. I don't see that happening this weekend. Um, you know, obviously any kind of turnover would be huge. Um, but I, I think for us, we're gonna we're just gonna have to really, you know, dig down, dig deep, and 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 bust them in the mouth. Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, ECU they they've forced 15 turnovers this year. Um, I mean, really, really cool to say that, but but you got to mm-hmm. do it against a team like this that ha- that has that high-powered offense. But already, um, we've talked a lot about what what the coaches said in their press conferences. Let's go ahead and send it over to the first pre- the first press conference of the week, um, where we had Coach Houston and Deontay Smith, um, ECU. Uh, I, I guess you would call him a former ECU uh, line offensive lineman. Um, Let's go ahead and talk to him and, and, and see what they had to say, okay? Yep. Okay. So here's the press conference. Uh, Coach Houston's earlier press conference, I believe it was on Tuesday. So, uh, yeah, here it is. Right over to you for an opening statement and then questions. Okay. Um, obviously a lot uh, more enjoyable end of the weekend uh, this week. and. Uh, positive start to uh, game week for SMU. Um, 
you know, able to take a good look at the film from uh, last Saturday, make some, uh, make some corrections, uh, see some things that we did very well. Um, you know, went out and had a, a short practice uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, spent the remainder of Sunday and all day uh, yesterday and this morning, obviously, uh, breaking down the SMU, um, you know, quality football team. Uh, they've had a little bit extra time to get ready for us, uh, should be fresh and come into the game seven and two, obviously, uh, with one of the top offenses in the country. So, um, you know, going to be a great challenge this weekend, uh, but very, very excited about, uh, you know, the opportunity, the matchup and excited to be at home. So uh, kids will be very motivated this week. Uh, they're very excited for uh, the challenge uh, and they're just very excited for, you know, the chance to really finish the season strong. So I expect us to get great effort uh, throughout the week and uh, a great performance on Saturday. Okay, we'll open it up to questions. Coach, will there be anything going on Saturday as far as a senior day recognition? There will. Um, and, you know, much like the entire uh, 2020, um, you know, things are just different this year. And, you know, I think back to, you know, my last game as a college player and, and senior day uh, and, you know, being able to walk out with my parents and I've uh, still got the photo of, you know, mom and dad on either side of me and, you know, being recognized in front of a, a, a full home stadium. Um, that is not our reality this year. And that's, I really feel for, uh, you know, those student athletes participating in our senior day this week uh, from a standpoint of, you know, they're not going to have that opportunity to have the parents down there with them. Uh, you know, they're not going to have the opportunity to be recognized in front of a packed uh, Dottie Ficklin Stadium. Uh, it is going to be, um, just like everything else with 2020, it's, it's going to be, you know, significantly impacted. Uh, we'll have a small group that we'll be recognizing on, on Saturday, uh, and it's a group that has, you know, contributed greatly to the program uh, in their time here and, uh, and will leave here as graduates of East Carolina University uh, and prepared to make, um, you know, positive impact on, uh, you know, our society. And, uh, you know, I look forward to honoring them, but I just do feel for them in that it's not going to be, you know, the traditional senior day recognition that we all, you know, recognize. Coach, uh, you come into this ball game. Uh, Cincinnati is ranked 17th in passing nationally, 14th in overall yards. And but amongst the 72 record overall, their two losses um, to Cincinnati and Tulsa are very similar to the two losses that you had to those same ball clubs. You've got to feel pretty good about your chances for this to be a competitive ball game this week if you guys play like you're you're capable of doing. Well, I think I think that SMU is you know, a very solid program, uh, senior quarterback, uh, who, you know, is one of the best ones in our conference, uh, really, really talented skill positions. Um, you know, defensively, I think that they are an improved unit from last year. Uh, I think they're playing better together. Uh, and, you know, looking at them, you're a very complete group on special teams. So, you know, I think that they are, you know, exactly what the record says they are. They're a seven and two team. It's one of the better teams in our league. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be a great challenge this weekend. But, you know, just like, uh, you know, just like every other game we've had, our, our kids are excited for the opportunity. Uh, and, you know, we're excited for, uh, you know, the, the matchup and look forward to uh, being able to kick off at 12 o'clock here in Daddy Ficklin Stadium. 
Hey, coaches, maybe not a, a fun question to ask or it could get tricky, but with Thanksgiving in particular and gatherings and kind of what's going on with this week, right. and CDC and whatnot, I mean, most weeks or seasons, I imagine you would let local players go home to their family or have a meal if they wanted to. I mean, will you allow that for a better word or will you kind of bubble it this week? How will you handle guys maybe going off campus or seeing families at all? You know, we've talked about is, you know, we're going to have practice Thursday morning. We're going to have a uh, COVID protocol appropriate uh, Thanksgiving uh, lunch together as a team. Uh, and it's, you know, it's the way we've been having to eat for, you know, the past, you know, several months uh, with the spacing, masks, and just all the protocols in place with serving. Uh, we're going to do that together as a team. We're going to give them a, a, a to-go dinner to take with them. Uh, and what I've asked of them is just, listen, guys, you've got one more week as far as protecting each other. You know, just let's, let's just be conscientious of staying within our bubble. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, they just got to be smart um, in that if they, if they do do anything uh, with a family here in the local area, that they are very conscientious about protecting themselves because they're protecting their teammates. Um, you know, we will have testing next week. Uh, to make to make sure that we come out of the weekend clean before we release the student athletes to go home back to their uh, you know homes for Christmas break, um, but you know we still got to finish strong with everything on the field and off the field. Coach, can you talk about the pros and cons of not scheduling another game? While you know a lot of the conference will be playing into December, but obviously this will be your, your final game. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that we have had looked at for a while. And I'll tell you, it, it got really tricky here in the past month, just from a standpoint of, you know, you saw, I don't know what the number is, but, you know, probably close to two dozen games postponed or canceled last weekend. I think you're going to see a similar number this weekend. Um, you know, I, I was really shaky with these next two games a few weeks back. Um, you know, were we going to be able to play the Temple game and the SMU game? It looks like we were going to get both of them in, but, I mean, it was touch and go. And so uh, there was hesitation from that standpoint of scheduling another opponent. Um, there's also some financial implications. Uh, you know, dorms and uh, dining halls close on Sunday. You know, you talk about uh, housing and feeding a team for 200 people for another week. I mean, obviously, that's a significant financial uh, piece. Um, there's other pieces in place or other, other factors in place that I'd be glad to discuss postseason uh, that internally we're aware of that maybe everybody in the surroundings are not. Uh, we just felt like all things considered, we needed to make sure we finished the season that we had on paper uh, and, and keep our focus right there. Um, there are pluses to playing an additional game. Uh, but we've we've been fortunate to be able to play the schedule we have because if you'd have asked me back in August and September if we would have played, you know, nine games this fall, I would have told you there's no way. Uh, I thought we were going to play four or five at best. When you look at uh, wrapping up this season, uh, maybe long term, how do you think this season will, will be remembered? It's obviously been a, been a crazy one, but it. Uh, did it bring the team closer together just culture-wise or was it just an accomplishment getting through it? Or, I mean, what are the things you maybe maybe will take away from a year like this? You could probably say all of it. I mean, it's – none of us have ever been through anything like this. And, um, you know, I do think the one – cautiously say wise thing that the NCAA did 
was giving everyone an extra year of eligibility. Uh, I think that's why from the standpoint of none of the players were prepared for this season. I mean, it's, you look at, at why certain things are happening. I think this is something to really discuss, you know, publicly a little bit, you know, after the season's over with, you know, not having spring practice and summer training, you, you cannot grasp the impact that that had on our young players, the negative impact that they had on our young players. Um, so, you know, they were not prepared for a college football season the way they should be, uh, especially to play a 12 game schedule. Um, on the other hand, I am thankful for the games that we have gotten to play because without getting spring practice, I mean, CJ Johnson has never had a spring practice. I mean, you guys would say he's a pretty veteran player. He's never had a spring practice. The vast majority of our team has never had an off season. Um, that is something that's so critical to the development of this program as we build it. So I'm thankful for the games we've had this fall because we've been able to, you know, get more out of this than you would have a spring practice. You've been able to get so much experience for guys. You've been able to see what a lot of guys can do, what some can't do. You saw some position changes. You're going to see some more because of things that happened on the field this fall. And the great thing is I think you have been able to bring the group together culturally, cohesively, um, and, and you see that from, you know, the videos you've seen from inside our locker room or if you've been able to be at practice every day, you know, this team does practice. You know, they practice full speed. They practice with some physicality. There's not a, you know, they don't loaf around the practice field. You know, we've got some positive habits in place. So there's so much positive coming out of playing this fall. And, you know, we've, we've shown, you know, uh, closing the gap competitively with other teams in our conference and winning multiple conference games. Um, you know, are you going to look back and say, you know, you should have gotten Navy or you got Tulsa and you got, you know, didn't get it. You know, yeah, you can say all that stuff, but we got to play those games. And so there's been so much good and bad. It is a special season. It is, it is unlike any other that I've ever had. I hope I never have one like this again. Uh, we're going to take a team photo on Saturday because I do, or on Sunday, because I do think that this group, I mean, there's something to be said about the perseverance that it took to make it through 2020 in a pandemic. Um, so how is it going to be remembered? It's going to be remembered for a lot of different things. Coach, with Michelle uh, going for nearly 2,800 yards and Bentley good for almost 900 on the ground. How do you approach uh, this game defensively against SMU? We've got our hands full. You know, that's, you got one of the top rushers uh, in the conference in the tailback. And then uh, Bouchel, I mean, he's had a great career there at SMU. Uh, you know, is he going to be back next year or not? I don't know. I would, if I had to bet, I'd say probably not. He's probably going to go ahead and turn pro. Uh, but obviously, he's one of the top quarterbacks in our league uh, and had an outstanding year. Um, you know, Coach Dykes and his staff, they do a great job offensively there. Um, you know, scheme-wise, uh, they do a lot of the same things they did last year, and I think they've evolved also. So I think we've got our hands full on Saturday. Coach, when you look back at, at last year's final game, I know the, the Tulsa game didn't go how you wanted it. How important is it just to maybe go out and play, play the way you guys, you know you're capable of playing, to, to take some momentum into the offseason? that was my message to the team on Sunday. And I think that they, you know, there's no doubt that they feel the exact same way. You know, you want to finish the season strong. Um, 
you know, you want to you want to see us put together the complete ball game. You know, I think we've we've done we've done that a little bit against South Florida, you know, a little bit against Tulsa. Uh, certainly, there were some strong phases against Navy. There were some strong phases against Temple. Uh, but as far as everything clicking in all three phases, you know, we haven't. I don't, I don't think we've done that this year. And so um, that that's a big thing I talked to him about on Sunday. Uh, I promise you, they want to. Um, and you know, my, my 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 message, you know, here in a few minutes when we talk to them is going to be, you know, let's have those kind of practices. We talked about on Sunday. We got to have that kind of Tuesday practice today. You know, everybody trying to sync on the same page. That's going to take a lot of focus. It's going to take a lot of effort. Uh, but you know, I do think we have positive momentum coming out of you know being able to pull pull one off up in Philadelphia when you know whether we were going to play or not was really in question. And so. I think that positive momentum we can use to build on this week, and hopefully we can see that kind of performance on Saturday. What was that moment like with Elijah and being able to give him that news after a win? Yeah, I've been waiting on the right moment. And like I, I told him, you know, I spoke to his father about a month ago uh, because that kid's earned – he's earned the right to be on scholarship here at East Carolina. And, uh, you know, he bet on himself. He had multiple scholarship opportunities at lower divisions. Uh, he came to our camp twice, uh, summer before last, uh, came here and walked on, uh, was given nothing, earned everything. Uh, and, you know, I wanted it to be the right moment. And I just thought, you know, he had the big turnover early in the ball game that, you know, another example of him being in the right place at the right time. He had a very solid performance on Saturday. Uh, and just, I wanted it to be exactly what it turned out to be because, uh, you know, he is, he has the traits and, and, and the, the things about him as a person uh, uh, and be able to coach him. You know, he is what you enjoy about coaching. You know, he's a, a kid that's going to maximize his God-given ability. He's going to be a great teammate. He's going to be a great leader. He's got that toughness, you know, plays hard. Uh, you know, all those traits that, uh, that you're building the program on. And so to be able to celebrate that after a win with his teammates and for them to see that because they, they watch him every day. They see what he puts into his his uh, you know, pre preparation each day, and, and they see that he's earned it. And so to, to have them, you know, be able to celebrate there with him on Saturday is just – it's a special moment that he'll never forget. It's a special moment I'll never forget, and I'm sure the rest of his family, uh, you know, just a special moment for them. And when you look at Tyler Sneed, he's leading the team in receptions and receiving yards heading into this last game. And maybe not a lot of people would have predicted that, I guess, with, with the talent you have at receiver. I mean, does that just speak to his consistency and how he's kind of shown up, seems like, each week and kind of gotten better as the season has progressed? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, I, you look at his performance last year against SMU and then you watch him right now. I mean, I, I do think he's a significantly improved player. Um, you know, he's, he's bigger, faster, stronger. Uh, and uh, he's that competitive nature that he has. And um, he's had a great year on offense. Uh, you know, I look forward to, you know, hopefully having another great game on Saturday. Uh, but he's had a great game in the return game, you know, punt return and kickoff return this year as well. Um, and he's just a guy that you, you always know what you're going to get. Very similar to Elijah Morrison in the character traits. You know, you're, he's always going to maximize his ability. He's, he's going to play with toughness and edge. He's going to compete every day. Uh, he's going to do things right off the field. He's going to be a great leader. You know, the more guys you can get like that and playing like that, then the better your program is going to be. So, um, you know, I, 
are you surprised? Yes. Are you not surprised? Yes. I mean, I think that uh, he's a guy that you can never count out. Coach, it seems like every week we're seeing more freshmen play. Uh, Stribling and Deontay Johnson this past weekend. Can you just talk about their play and kind of how they progressed this season? Yeah, I was, I was really, I was really proud of Walt. Um, yeah, he's played a little bit throughout the year this year, but not much. Um, has really improved drastically since he got here uh, back in January. Um, he's going to be a really good player for us. Uh, I thought he, I thought he held his own well on Saturday because I was. I was a little concerned because of the matchups with um, the defensive ends at Temple, uh, and, and you know number twelve and 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 Boozer both, you know those guys are are, are great players. I know seventeen did not play, uh, but you know matchup wise for a young tackle that was going to be tough. And I thought he held his own. Um, maybe one or two plays where he got beat, but not many. And to, and to play against those caliber of players in this league. Uh, that at that level, I thought that was a pretty pretty impressive first time out. And we talked about it Friday night. Just you know, I remember my first college start. He'll always remember his first college start. Uh, and you know, he was prepared for the moment and, uh, and 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 played well. Deontay Johnson, you know, another young guy that has you know really come on throughout the fall. You know, you you earn those reps. You know, and it, it started about a month ago from his performance on the scout team defense. Uh, and continuing to show show over there, so we you know started getting him reps with the you know the first group, the second group, uh, and he continued to develop there and earn those reps. And it was exciting to see him get in the ball game, have a couple of tackles, uh, had a tackle for a loss. Uh, just you know really excited for him. Uh, just like with all the rest of that group, you know uh, that's that, that's going to be a, a really a foundational group for this program for the years for years to come uh, because of you know the ability of the group, but also the number of the group. Coach, get a good game uh, this weekend, play the kind of game that you're capable of playing. We'll do a lot to sustain this ball club through the offseason and coming into the next year's conference season. Um, talk about that and how important it is just to play like you're capable of playing this week. Well, I just think we want positive momentum going into the offseason. I think that would be that would be the perfect way to end it. Now, it's it, it's not going to be easy. Now, I, it, people need to understand we're facing a, a extremely challenging opponent. So, you know, we'll have to play our best game of the year to have a shot to win it. But we're capable of it, and uh, so it's uh, it's something that we all want. Uh, but nobody's going to give us anything. It's, it's it's we've talked about that all year long. No matter how much you want to, you know, you know, get that win here, get that win there. Nobody's going to give you anything. And sometimes you got to beat them you know, three or four times to get the win. So um, it's just, it's going to be challenging, but it's going to be something that we're, you know, we're working very hard this week in order to earn. Okay, is there any anything else? Okay, just uh, any other questions from any anybody? Do, do want to just uh, one kind of bonus uh, this week. Um, did want to, you know, announce that uh, Deontay Smith has accepted an invitation for the Reese's Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. Um, you know, just like everything else, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be a different year for it. Um, it's going to be played on January the 30th, uh, 2021. Um, Deontay, you know, has, has had a great career here at East Carolina. Um, I hate that he got robbed of his senior year. Uh, you know, not, it, certainly it hurt us on the field, uh, not having a player of that ability out there every, 
every weekend, but also, um, you know, it, it, it robbed him of that opportunity as well. Um, but, you know, he's made the decision that he is ready to, you know, move on with what's next in his career. And so accepting an invitation to the Senior Bowl will give him a great opportunity uh, to be able to perform uh, one last time for the Pro Scouts uh, ahead of the uh, 2021 draft. Uh, so we're excited for this opportunity for Deontay. Um, along with this announcement, I do have him. I'm going to grab him real quick. He's sitting right outside my office. Just give you guys a few minutes to spend with him. Um, you know, him to be able to talk about this opportunity and his time here at East Carolina at the same time, any questions that you guys might have. So if you'll just excuse me for a second, I'll grab Deontay. Hey, Deontay, how are you? I'm doing good. What about you? We're doing well, sir. Uh, we're just going to let the media uh, ask some questions. Um, so just uh, sit back and relax and enjoy, okay? Yes, sir. Yate, yeah, uh, before we, we talk about your senior bowl opportunity, just talk about obviously your ECU career. You, you've been here a long time. What does this place mean to you, and uh, how do you kind of put it into words? Uh, coming here, really almost still 17 years old, it just taught me a lot about growing up and, and uh, branching out, being my own man and making decisions for myself, not being a follower. And, you know, it also taught me that uh, I can do things that I – I always had in line for myself, but that when it got hard, I had people around here that can keep pushing me and uh, keep me on track. And how thankful are you for this senior bowl opportunity, obviously to, you know, you haven't been able to play much this year, but to kind of get one more shot to, to show off for some scouts and, and you know, make some um, impressions before the draft. Yes, sir. I'm extremely uh, thankful. Uh, this is a big opportunity for me. I've been watching the senior bowl since I was in high school covering it just like a, like a normal fan would. So this is a big opportunity, and, and, I'm, and I'm happy that I got the uh, chance to accept it. Deontay, can you talk about how you're progressing physically at this point and uh, how you feel like you're going to be come January? So, yes, sir, uh, I'm progressing physically. I'm going to be way bigger than I've probably been at East Carolina in the last couple of years, but uh, I'm going to be ready to show my best. What will the training process be like? Are, are you going to work out uh, daily or just kind of are you going to get with a trainer? Kind of walk us through what the process will be like leading up to that that point. So uh, right now I'm currently still finishing my deciding factor, my, uh, my indecisions on how I'll be training, but I am currently still working with uh, our strength and conditioning coaches. And when did you find out? Is there a timeline as far as you got the invitation? I mean, did they – send you something electronically or an email or paper? Like, how did you kind of find out you were going to get to this opportunity? Uh, I talked to uh, my coaches, and uh, I accepted the invitation. So that's kind of how it went. Yante, how, how frustrating was this senior year? I mean, you, you got to play in the first game, the majority of that game, obviously. And I know you have big goals as a team. So can you kind of put that into words, just kind of how frustrating that's been? Yes, sir. It was, it was definitely frustrating for me. I had uh, goals that I wanted to accomplish with this season uh, with our team and, and personal goals also. And uh, it just uh, it just it just didn't happen the way I wanted it to. This year has been different for everyone. And it's just something I got to roll with and, and keep going. Thank God for everything he's put me through and, and just continue to grow. And I've, I've noticed you've been on the sidelines for, for pretty much every game cheering on your teammates and 
and everything there. How important has that been to still stay involved, keep supporting those guys? I mean, like I said, with the people on this team, the ECU family that I've, I've uh, been around for these past five years, it's just these are the people that have, that have helped me grow also. So these are like family to me. So it's just me showing love to the people that show love to me at all times. I'm just happy to see them work hard and succeed and get get to do things that we always talk about. So with this experience that you've had at East Carolina, uh, talk about uh, what all it's meant to you um, as you as you kind of wind things up at ECU. Uh, this this time in East Carolina has meant a lot to me. It, it's it's uh, allowed me to get my education, my degree in economics. It has allowed me to continue to grow as a man and as a person, continue to mature, and uh, it has allowed me to continue with my goals that I have for myself in life. So I really appreciate this opportunity at East Carolina. Okay, are there any other questions for, for Deontay? Okay, Deontay, thank you for your time. No problem, thank you. Okay. Appreciate it, everybody. Talk to you soon. Once again, that was the, the press conference with Coach Houston and Deontay Smith, offensive lineman for the for the ECU Pirates, former offensive lineman. Um, been, been hurt all year. Um, I, I don't think he even saw any time this year, which, which sucks. But uh, he, he's going. He's, he's, got his, uh, he, he's got his invite to the Senior Bowl already, and, and that, that's something that's big for, for these guys. I, I mean, the last guy that went to the Senior Bowl for, for ECU, I believe, Zay Jones. What was it, Zay? I, I thought it was – I thought Philip Nelson went to one. Was um, it? Okay, okay, okay. It might have been Philip Nelson. It might have been Philip Nelson. I, I thought it was Zay Jones. Yeah, I think Philip Nelson went to one. Um, I mean, th those are it, – it's a good opportunity for these guys to kind of get spotted and and uh, get scouted a little bit more, especially this year when you haven't has, had as many scouts. I, I've seen some yeah. scouts in the press box, but um, – I saw some at UCF, and then I saw some against Tulane. That 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 was cool to talk. To. I actually talked to one of the scouts from from the Cleveland Browns, um, who who I mean, he was talking about um, some of the guys to watch out for for ECU in the in the coming years who who might have a shot at the NFL. But um, yeah, I, I'm excited for him. Uh, we've already talked to him a little bit. We're we're gonna have him on mm -hmm. sometime soon. Um, Very excited for that. We're, we're working out the details, figuring out how uh, how we need to how we can have him on, and and um, all the logistics that go into that. I don't know if we still have to go through the university or not, but uh, we'll we'll work through that, and uh, we'll we'll bring him on here very soon, hopefully uh, before before the Senior Bowl. Um, I believe that's in January, or it's yeah, usually right after the season. It's yeah, it's usually right after the season. And look, any anybody that's good enough to make it to the Senior Bowl. That, that usually means you're either going to be a, a high draft pick or a draft pick regardless. Um, very, very happy for Deontay Smith. There's going to be a lot of rec recruits and, and staffers and guys from NFL teams out there looking at him. Um, couldn't be happier, couldn't be prouder for the guy. Um, he's worked his butt off and he's, he's earned it. And uh, really looking forward to seeing him plateau to that next level and setting his family up, setting himself up, and, and, and really, you know, just uh, killing it on, on, on the next stage in the NFL. So really, really happy and proud of him. Yeah, super excited for him. And uh, like I said, 
hopefully hopefully we'll have him on soon um get it we've already talked to him a little bit um we're working something out we'll, we'll get him on as soon as possible um now Artie, let's uh let's go ahead and send it over to the press conference with the three coaches since with with today being a holiday or thanksgiving uh being thursday i i guess today um, depending on when you're listening to this the coaches did a joint press conference with coach mike houston Coach Blake Harrell, friend of the podcast, and Coach Donnie Kirkpatrick. Um, let, let's go ahead and send it over to them and uh, and hear what they had to say as, as they preview the matchup with SMU. Go ahead and start if you just want to do an opening statement, and then we'll go right to questions. Okay, Coach? Sounds good. Um, you know, had a good week of practice so far. Uh, still got some uh, finishing up stuff to do. Uh, tomorrow morning and Friday, uh, but certainly, uh, you know, excited about the matchup this weekend, facing a very talented, uh, very good uh, SMU ball club. Uh, they've had a, a great season thus far, uh, so we'll have a great challenge for us on Saturday. Glad to be back at home in Daddy Ficklin Stadium, uh, and, you know, it's uh, you know, a special time of year. You know, you got Thanksgiving uh, tomorrow. Uh, we'll practice tomorrow morning uh, and then have a uh, COVID uh, appropriate Thanksgiving meal uh, after practice. Um, I just told the team just a minute ago, you know, this, especially this year, you know, our, not only our nation, but everybody uh, across the world has been through so much this year uh, with the pandemic. Uh, certainly there's been tragic loss of life. Uh, there's been extreme financial impacts. Uh, there's been, you know, struggles of all kinds uh, with all of our families. And uh, this year, I think uh, at this time of the year, especially, you know, all of us need to sit back and be thankful for all the blessings that we have. You know, we're very, very blessed uh, in that uh, we have the opportunity to be here at East Carolina. Uh, these kids are getting an education. They are able to play a sport that they love. They have a place to sleep each night that's safe. Uh, they have food on the table for them each day. Uh, and, they, you know, they have so many blessings that so many others do not have. So I think especially this year, uh, this is a time for us all to be thankful uh, for everything that we're blessed with. Coach, with Cincinnati and Temple now canceled and not expected to be played, you got to feel good that you've, you know, barring some unforeseen circumstances, that you've gotten in all of these these games, with the exception of the first three, um, heading into the, the end of the season here. Yeah, and, you know, it's we've worked very, very hard with our COVID protocols. I think the kids have done a good job with, you know, protecting each other, protecting themselves. We've also been fortunate, you know, certainly, um, you know, as we learned uh, earlier in the year and we're reminded every single week, you know, we've had someone out in protocol virtually every game this year. And certainly we had a large number out for Navy. Uh, and, you know, like I said, then, you know, Holton's the most germaphobic person on the, on the, on the roster does a great job with protocols and, you know, and, and he, he ended up uh, contracting it. So I do think there's been a little bit of luck involved also, but, um, you know, we're excited. We're going to get the game in hopefully Saturday. Um, and I, I would not have thought we would have gotten them all in. Uh, I really was extremely skeptical back at the beginning just with the way things were trending. And I think the things are trending back that way a little bit right now also. So we've been fortunate. Coach, with SMU, I mean, Buchel gets a lot of the attention, but their running back, Bentley, is a freshman. Can you just talk about the different dynamic he brings? Well, I wasn't very excited to see him, you know, as the seasons went on. I mean, you know, they graduated, obviously, a very talented uh, running back last year. 
and you thought there was going to be some drop off there, but uh, you know he's he's as good or better. Um, I think he's just done a great job. Uh, he has great vision, uh, very good acceleration. He's a he's good catching the ball out of the backfield. Uh, you know he's been a he's been a very impressive back so far this year. It seems like if I remember right from last year with Bouchelle, they put a lot of trust in him pre-snap and and changing things, check with me type stuff. Is that what you see again this year and you're expecting a lot of maybe that chess match, you know, when they have the ball before the snap type of thing. Yeah. And it's, you know, the things that stand out, you know, they do, they do go pretty fast. I mean, they're, they're maybe not quite as fast as UCF, but they're close. Um, and, you know, they do a lot of check with me where, you know, they go fast, 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 and then check with me. I think that, you know, he's done a great job. Um, offensive line's done a great job. And that's probably partially him, too, with, um, you know, IDing the defense and, and getting the correct uh, calls as far as where the protection's going. But uh, they are operating very, very smooth. And, and obviously, he's doing a lot of that uh, on the field. So, you know, I've had senior quarterbacks before. Um, you know, certainly Brian Shore with us at JMU. You know, we did a lot of the same things with him. And, and it really it allows you to operate you know, at a very, very high level because you're rarely in a bad play. Speaking of that, I mean, how close is, is Holton with that at this point in his career? I mean, he does some check with me stuff, but is he, does he have freedom to do that at the line as well? He has a good bit. I mean, he, he and he works very hard at it. Uh, he does a great job with film study uh, and has, you know, improved, you know, uh, tremendously since last year. Um, and so, yeah, he, he does a lot of the same stuff for us. Okay, are there any other questions for Coach Houston? Okay, All right, Coach, guys. thank you very much. We'll see you on Saturday. Okay, see you, Coach. Hey, Coach, how are you, sir? Good, good. How y'all doing? Doing well. We'll jump right into questions for Coach Harrell. Coach, uh, can you just talk about, obviously, the challenges of facing SMU, good passing attack, good running game. Just, they seem to do everything pretty well. Yeah, they, they're a good football team, a seven-win seven team. Uh, and, and exactly what you expect from a seven-win football team. Uh, older quarterback, um, you know, receivers who are really explosive, tailbacks really explosive. I think he leads the, the conference in, in rushing by, you know, a couple hundred yards. So it tells you a little bit about him and the success they've had in the run game and up front. Uh, the quarterback, I think, you know, leads the nation right there at it in passing. So uh, they, they're certainly create some challenges. Uh, but, the same, you know, the focus, again, for us is, is on us and doing what, what we got to do and, and lock in and, and execute and play with great effort and those type of things. And, you know, the plan's the same every week. Stop the run game, put them in obvious passing situations, see if you can create some chaos for the quarterback and, and get some third down stops. So if we can do that, um, then I think you put them behind the eight ball and put the stress on them a little bit. So, uh, you know, I told the guys, hey, I, we, the pressure shouldn't be on us. Let's just go play as hard as we can play every single snap and put the pressure on those guys. With a quarterback like that, a senior that, that they trust a lot to, to make some calls and stuff, for you, is it is it linebackers or a specific player or two that, that you key on communication-wise and to try to, you know, in that kind of game of chess match a little bit, matching up against him, is there specific guys you maybe trust the most or depend on to, to read some of that stuff? Right. So, uh, you know, he, he's a kid that gets them in the right play. I mean, you see from uh, snap to snap, 
Uh, regardless of who they're playing, that he'll make a check. He's not looking to the sideline to make that check uh, from the coordinator, the coach, whoever it may be on the sideline. He's he's seeing the safety rotation, or he's seeing the, the pressure up front, checking the run play, checking the proper RPO off of it. Um, so you got to make sure that, you know, as we signal things in, that we got the right call, the right rotation with the safeties to give him the, the proper look pre-snap and, and maybe bait him in to, to, to get him what, the look we want. Um, and at the same time, they're going to go tempo on you. So you got to make sure with the tempo stuff that uh, you can get lined up. You're not so worried about disguising that you get out of uh, position to make a play. So we got to make sure we're in position to make plays and, and, and do the best job we can there. So what kind of shapes your, your bunch in coming into this ball game right now as you enter the last ball game of the season? Uh, everybody ready to go? And, and uh, what's your biggest concerns? Yeah, I, I think we're healthy. I mean, it's, it's the end of the season. It's, you've been through a bunch of weeks. It's maybe not be uh, a bunch of Saturday games, but we've been at this thing since July. And I think anytime you go, you know, the length of a season, you're going to have tired legs and tired bodies and bumps and bruises. And, you know, guys just kind of wears on them a little bit. So we've been trying to keep them fresh as possible. Uh, we did that last week for Temple and trying to do it this week and the best job we can and, and just kind of get guys, hey, you got to stay locked in. You got to stay mentally focused on doing your job snap after snap because it can come to a point where late in the season you just kind of zone out a little bit but you got to keep fighting against it that's kind of a little bit of you know human nature you just kind of get in the, the rhythm of groundhog day and you got to get past that and over that hump and just say hey i'm gonna lock in the next snap and after that snap i'm gonna lock in for the next snap for the next play it's the same in practice it's the same for all of us and everything we do every day i mean you can't just you know count the days down or, or go through the motions, you've got to hey, give it your best effort, snap after snap, play after play, game after game, week after week. But we're healthy. I mean, you know, as healthy as you expect a football team to be this time of season. Coach, it looks like you've been up in the box the last few games calling the defense. Can you walk us through kind of what went into that decision and, and how that transition has been? You know, I thought we played, uh, you know, played pretty well against Navy and um, Tulsa and, and South Florida there. And, and we're doing some things to execute pretty well. And, you know, then you have a couple of weeks, you know, things don't go so well. You're just kind of looking for a change up, anything to give your team the best opportunity to win, win a football game. Um, up or down, you know, it's, it is what it is. So sometimes getting up there, you can see it a little bit better. You can lay everything out uh, on the table and you can go back and forth through your call sheet, check things out. And it's a little easier to write things. At the same time, when you're on the field, you kind of, you can get the call in maybe just a tad quicker. You can see the guys in the eyes and, and make adjustments down there. But we have great coaches on, on our defensive staff, and uh, they do a great job with their up top or on the field of seeing things and making adjustments. So I have 100% um, faith in those guys to, to do you know do it. And I think just going up top just was different, uh, different little piece there, different little flavor. And uh, I, I like it, and there's some good to it that I like and, you know, kind of miss the field in some ways too. So. Uh, but I'll be up top again this week as well. When you do that, uh, who does the majority of the communicating to the team on the field? Well, well then it, once you're on the field there, we have, uh, you know, Coach Tash is on the field, so he takes care of his his guys' adjustments on the sideline there. Uh, Coach Thweet's down there, takes care of the ends and his adjustments. Uh, Coach Weaver handles the safeties, and Coach, um, Coach Ellis handles the corners. And then the linebacker adjustments, usually the Coach Tash or Coach Weaver just stand in front of those guys and, echo what I'm saying and, and then coach uh, you know got signals going in there as well so uh, it, it's a it's a team effort and, and it's been pretty good for us and, and we got some GAs and, and guys that do a really good job up top that are going to be really good coaches one day and, and see it well and 
and uh, been working their tails off and, and doing a good job. And I'm excited about them as, as future coaches. So when you want to get on uh, Bruce or Xavier, do you have to call them on the phone or relay that through uh, Coach Tess? Well, well, fortunately, it went pretty well last week, so I didn't have to, to, have, to have to get on to them too much. But, uh, you know, it's funny, like Coach, Coach Tess leaves his mic down so whatever I say, he echoes, <laughs> good or bad. And then uh, there's been times, though, you get them on the phone just to kind of, you know, they hear your voice, calm them down a little bit. And sometimes I think it's more an adjustment for the players themselves when you're up or down just because uh, maybe Bruce Rex or the linebackers, they're used to hearing your voice in a meeting on the practice field. Now all of a sudden they're hearing it through somebody else's voice. So sometimes just to get those guys on the phone and say, hey, relax, here's all you had, you did a great job, or, you know, this is what you got to do better. And, um, hearing that voice sometimes is enough. Now, I was wondering with the, the Temple game and your defense specifically, watching that film, obviously you did a great job, um, but I'm sure you didn't you – know, there's a balance there of obviously Temple's quarterback situation and, mm -hmm. you know, they were so limited offense. How have you handled that game with your guys mentally of building on that but maybe not getting too comfortable and understanding the situation that, that they had? No, certainly. I think uh, we're at – a young football team, and we're right in the season. I think you have to build on it, and you have to use it for a confidence. And, uh, you know, they had their situation at quarterback, but you can't take away from where they were O-line-wise. Tailback was certainly a good player and, and, and some good guys out wide, you know, number one, as good as, as anybody maybe in the league size-wise and going up and position you out. So don't take that away. Um, and, and the quarterback, I thought, for what they asked him to do Saturday, did a good job. I mean, he – you know, as good as any freshman quarterback would. But at the same time, like you said, it's with any ball game, you know, you can't look at last week. you got to focus on and move on to SMU and focus on the next week and, and take care of business there. So, you know, at the end of the day, I thought, you know, confidence played well at times. You know, I thought maybe we should have had another sack or a turnover there. Um, but did a good job of executing a game plan, stopping the run, uh, put it in the quarterback's hands and, and getting a lot of third down stops and three and outs. And that was a, a big key to it there. Okay. Are there any other questions for uh, Coach Harrell? Okay, Coach, thank you for your time. All right. Appreciate you guys. Yes, sir. Enjoy this year. What are you looking for, Nina? Sure. Looking for one of y'all who did something. <laughs> hey, Donnie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. We're just going to jump right into questions for Coach Kirkpatrick. Well, Coach, um, I know we've talked about it every single week, it seems like. But how good would it be to kind of close out the season with, with a really all-around good game offensively? I know you guys have been there at times this year, but to close it out that way. I think it'd be, it'd be unbelievable. Uh, you know, but the, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is to win the game. And so that's really all that matters. So, I mean, I hope that we participate in, you know, play well because that's, that's also a nice thing. That's, that's the problem or the hard part about coaching is that there's four outcomes to every game and only one of them is good. Uh, that's if you play really well and you win the game, everything's good. But you can play poorly and win. And, you know, that's good for everybody else. But as a coach, then you're like, well, we got to go back and fix all this stuff. So that's not so good. Uh, you can play, you know, bad and, and lose that's 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 even worse you know what i'm saying like that you know but you can play bad and win sometimes and you know all those things but but the only thing that's good is if you play good and you win but i think this game's super important obviously to our program to our team uh coach houston's tried to express that all week uh, i think to them uh it, 
it's a situation we'd have a chance to go three and five in the league, which nobody, um, you know, sets their goal to go three and five. But it was 2015, I guess, last time we were three and five in the conference. And that's kind of when the program got broke, you know, from, from then on. So we could at least get back to that point. You know, I think uh, we could get the rebound going. It's, it's sometimes hard to rebound when you're, you're so far down. Nobody will let you. The other teams keep trying, too. The other people keep making commitments and, and getting better and stuff, too. But to get back to three and five, win three conference games, kind of knowing that probably we had four, you know what I'm saying? Realistically, we probably won another game. Uh, that's not count like, say, Navy with the quarterback out. Everybody has that issue this year. I'm talking about the game we probably did one. You, you know, you, you would have built some confidence. I think you'd see some progress there. I think to end on a two-game win streak, which we had the opportunity to do last year, did not play well against Tulsa. Uh, you know, would, would be huge going into the offseason to, to, uh, to build some confidence, build some momentum, get some excitement going. You know, Tulsa kind of had – the year we're having last year where everybody, well, they were getting close. They were competing with everybody, couldn't seem to win enough games. Uh, then they played really well against us on this weekend, and they kind of used it into the offseason, you know, talking with their coaches, how they got some confidence late and really got some momentum. And then this year, they've gotten all their breaks. They've, they've caused those breaks to go their way, but they, they said it had a lot to do with how they finished the season. So, uh, big weekend, big opportunity. Now, good football team coming in here that plays well on uh, offense, plays well on defense too. So we'll, it'll be a challenge, but I don't think it's a challenge that we won't be up to. I was going to ask about. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to ask about last year's game, and it sounds like there's at least some level of, of motivation or remembering how last season ended, and and obviously not trying to to do that the same way. It, it really is. I, you know. As a coach, sometimes you have these these feelings and you're right. Sometimes you have the feelings and you're wrong. It's hard to read them, especially in the first year. It's a little hard. It was hard to read last year's team, especially because we didn't know the kids that well. But we could tell. It's like after we beat UConn up there, it's almost like everybody kind of thought, okay, the season's over. We got off that three win, got to that fourth win, kind of got that conference win that everybody's afraid we might not be going to get one. Uh, I guess sometimes when you beat – the same team over and over, you know, now you got to beat them. Wow. Okay. That, that's a little more pressure on you. That you, Now this is a must win type situation, but we won that game. We came out, we had really bad practices all week. It was Thanksgiving. There were a lot of distractions. Just seemed like the older kids were ready to go. The younger kids seemed like they were ready to get the next season and going in the game, the coaching staff did not have a great feeling like, wow, we're going to play our best. And we didn't mentally, we were so out of the game mentally. Now late in the game, we rallied offensively and put some points on the board. Early, the defense had actually probably played pretty well. But in the middle of the game, we just, boy, we were, we were horrible and just making so many mistakes. So there's been a lot of talk about, hey, this week, you know, we've got a game to go. This is important. It's a home game. It's a conference game. You know, the season is not over. Now, this is an important game. Uh, somebody even was saying that if we won the game, with the way the other games may play out, we might finish as high as tied for sixth place in the league, which again, there's no foam finger that we're number six. Hey, we're number six, nobody. But to get out of the basement all the way up to tied for six would really show that you're making some improvement. That helps recruiting. That helps your kids coming back. That helps, I think, everybody that's involved in the program. So big, big week here, big weekend. So you talk about getting a rebound. You can't rebound if you get a three-second violation. So what's the big thing that you kind of want to 
avoid most uh, when you're playing against SMU's defense and what do you got to do well? Well, here's what SMU is really good at on defense. They sack the quarterback, you know, which they did last year too. I think when we played them going into the game, they were leading the nation in sacks last year. I think they have 23 or 25. So they got to be up there again pretty well in a, in a shortened season. Now, uh, the other thing they do is they take the ball away. They got 15 takeaways, I think. And so they're kind of known for that. They, they play very complimentary football. Their offense is very aggressive. They want to play fast. They want to score a lot of points. Defensively, they want to get the ball back for their offense fast no matter what. So we're either going to take it away. Maybe you get us. We're going to get you. Either way, we're getting it back to our guys and let them go have a chance to go score. So our big Achilles heel the whole year has been we've turned the ball over. And that's something that we're not known for and not in the way we practice or play or coach or, or anything should we be doing that. But it has bit us. And it bit us last week uh, twice. That's how they got their three points. Our defense played a great game last week. They should have had a shutout. We gave them the three with field position. And then we almost gave them another one. But luckily, we took one back from them uh, with, with the turnover. So, so Raji's had an unbelievable freshman season. He, he's had a little bit of an issue with holding on to the ball. Other teams see that. They start to encourage their guys to strip the ball, hold the guy up. So you can't give their offense more possessions because they can score a ton of points. So your defense goes out there and they work hard to get the ball back for you. You can't turn it over. you got to be aggressive enough to go score some points. You're not going to beat them without scoring some points, no doubt about that. But you surely cannot give them the ball back. Coach, unless I remember wrong, I think CJ got dinged up early in last year's game versus them, didn't really play, and Snead had a big day. Um, what do you kind of remember about that? And is it an advantage at all that CJ didn't play last year? Maybe you can do some different things this time around? Well, uh, CJ did get dinged up early on a kickoff or a kickoff return, and he, he was coming off the huge game against Cincinnati. Uh, Snead filled in. Now, we had gone into that game plan thinking the ball would probably go to Snead and Josiah a lot, the two slot receivers. Si made a huge play early that kind of got us going after I think we got down 14, and then he rallied with a long touchdown play. Then Snead turned into just a huge game. So I told Snead all week, they probably got your pitcher on their, everybody's locker in, in, in there, just like Cincinnati probably had CJs. So you're going to be a marked man. You know, just be patient. Uh, you know, they used to do that to Hardy a lot. Early in the game, they'd have two guys on him. They'd be holding him. They'd be, you know, and we always kidded Zay Jones, you know, you're getting all these catches early because they're all covering Hardy. But in the fourth quarter, then Hardy would always get about seven or eight catches, it seemed like. So sometimes, you know, guys like Snead, they may have to be patient. Maybe hard to get it to them early. We have other weapons, you know, that, that's one thing that's good. It's also sometimes an issue because everybody doesn't get to touch it as much as they'd like to. You know, somebody asked me today, why don't the tight ends have more catches? Well, there's not enough balls to go around. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Snead won't let them have it, you know, or somebody else, you know. So uh, we'll have to have everybody ready because you never know how the game's going to play out because we don't know their game plan. We can anticipate it. We don't know who they'll try to take away. But we would figure they wouldn't want Snead to have 19 catches again because that didn't, you know, that didn't go too well for him. Any other questions for Coach? All right, so I have a question. Does we just type Billy Weaver's name here, or does Billy Weaver actually come to these these sessions, or do? Because we never see a picture of Billy, and by far Billy would be the best looking guy in this crew here. So I mean, well, okay, because Brian Bailey's not here, he would be. Right. <laughs> 
Thanks, Coach. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. See you. Once again, that was this week's uh, this week's press conference with the the three coaches, the offensive and defensive coordinator, and head coach Mike Houston. Um, re- really good uh, hearing from them. Um, it it sounds like there's a lot of excitement. I, to me, the the biggest thing that stood out to me was they they want these guys to to have a good taste in their mouth going into uh, next season, and mm-hmm. they, they think that this is an opportunity to to pick up some momentum going into next year. But uh, let's uh, let's uh, go into some uh, some of these Twitter questions already. We we got some Twitter questions on um, over the past couple oh, of days. We got some Twitter questions. Yeah. The All Twitter. right. Okay. So of the thirteen or so seniors or grad transfers, how many do you think will use their COVID exception and come back next year? Well, uh, that that and that's from John Smith, uh, friend. I'll say friend of the podcast. We, we've talked to him a little bit. Um, he, he joined us on the live stream last week. Um, he mentioned something about us coming on his, his radio show, Seven Cities Radio. So shout out to you, John. Um, I, know, I know he's an avid listener. Um, John, I, I, would, I would probably say most of those guys are coming back. Uh, I, from, from talking to some of them and, and hearing what they have to say, I, I, would highly, I would think that most of them are coming back. I know Warren Sabo said he's coming back. Um, I know there's some other guys that are hurt that, that would probably come back. Um, we know Deontay Smith, he, he's preparing to go to the draft. Nobody else, I, I've heard, I haven't heard of anybody else that has said that they're preparing for the draft or preparing mm-hmm. to take that next step. I think what they're wanting to do is come back in the, next year and really get what, what they want and have a winning season and, and really upgrade their draft stock, which I think that they can do next year. It's going to be a weird year for the, for the draft, and I, I think – you're going to see a lot of these guys that um, you're, you're going to see a, the next year's draft. It, it's going to be interesting. Let me, let me just say that I think next year's draft will be, you're going to see a lot of names that people don't, you'll, you'll have the ones that you expect at, at the top, but you'll also have some of the guys that um, you, you don't expect to go. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I think that, that, I just think that's how it's going to work out. You, scouts haven't been able to go to as many games. They're not able to talk to these guys as much so it's going to be kind of a crapshoot but i think that most of those guys are coming back i would say if i had to put a number on it i would say probably 11 of the 13 i i know deontay smith is gone um i haven't looked at anybody else that who might go um a guy like chris willis kind of stands out to me that he he seems like somebody that might go um just because i mean he has had success at app state um but to me, that that that's really that, that's it for me. Yeah, I would um, I would tend to agree with you. I know some of these guys haven't even really been able to suit up and play the way they wanted to. Um, you know, some of them like Saba have you know been injured and 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 want to come back. Um, and this really hasn't been a normal year. These guys want to have a normal year with fans in the seats, with a normal schedule with the ability to go out and to perform at the highest ability and do what they want to do, why not come back? You have an extra year of eligibility. Some of these guys know that they're good enough to maybe potentially walk on, get drafted, be a free agent, yada, yada, yada. And so why not come back and have that extra year free eligibility to come back and showcase what you have. And then on, on the flip, even if you know you're not going to go anywhere, why not come back and say, look, this is my super senior or senior year, whatever it is, come back, 
play this season, give it my all, give my all to this locker room, to these coaches, to these guys. I, I, I would I would agree with you. I think most of them come back, and I think most of them have pretty good seasons next year. Yeah, I I, I mean I've already said my piece. I, I agree with you. Um, now next question from Leonard Mansfield. He this is I think his second time asking us a question. Um, he we we've already kind of answered some of his questions, but he he asked us he asked us a couple. Um, he says, "What do you see as key to stopping SMU's offense? Can we execute well enough to do that?" Um, well, it's going to be tough. Um, but like we said, you got to force you got to force turnovers. Um, which I mean, that that's easier said than done. But but that's if ECU wants any shot, they're going to have to force the turnovers and they're going to have to take control and control the possession possession time in this game. Um, to me, that that's probably the biggest the biggest thing. Um, and it's not, like I said, it's not going to be Shane Bouchelle throwing interceptions. Who knows? Maybe he has an off day and, and throws one, throws, who knows? Maybe ECU can trick him into throwing two, who knows, but you're going to have, you're going to have to force turnovers. I don't see the interceptions being the the way to do it. I think the fumbles are going to be the way to do it, especially since we know SMU uh, likes to run the ball and they, I mean, they have a hell of a running back, but I mean, running backs are, are, known for fumbling balls and I mean we've we've seen Rajay Harris do it a couple of times this year but that that's not to say we we can't force uh force Ulysses Bentley to 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 force the ball out and put it on the ground um how how would you answer that Artie yeah for for me you got to make the you got you got to make them one-dimensional um they have a running back that has almost 100 yards per game and he's got 11 touchdowns on on the season, which means he's guaranteed a touchdown per game. You've got a quarterback who has 21 touchdowns and four interceptions. If you let both of those guys beat you, it's going to be a long, long, long day for East Carolina football. You have to take one away. You just you have to. You have to take the run game away. You have to take the pass game away. You got it. You got to limit them to a one-dimensional offense. If if we can do that, which that's a tall task. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying we'll be able to do it. I'm just saying I feel like to me that's the most important thing. You have to make SMU one-dimensional instead of them being able to beat you with the run and the pass. And that's how I would answer that question. I, I think the only shot we have of winning this game is forcing one of those guys to beat us. I, I would agree with that. And then he also goes on to ask. How important will our run game be to moving the football? <laughs> that that actually kind of ties in well with with uh, with your answer, Artie. Um, you can't be one dimensional against a team like SMU. No. It's one of these uh, upper one of these upper echelon teams. You you can't you can't do that. Um, you got you got to be a well balanced offense, like we said. Um, the run game it's gonna it's gonna be de- it's it's gonna be one of the bigger bigger parts of the game. If if you can't run the ball, ECU's not gonna have any success. So we we know we have two stud running backs. They gotta be able to they gotta be able to do something. And I wouldn't be surprised if if we see some a little bit of an RPO um, coming from ECU this week. Um, if, if that were me, if I if I put on the Madden headset and was able to call some plays. I'll definitely be going with the RPO offense this week. Somebody, I mean, maybe even putting two, both running backs out there and, uh, and really kind of forcing SMU to bite on the, bite on the run. So you can, you can throw the ball, but um, the only way you can do that is if you have success on, on the ground. 
Yeah, and, and for me, it's can we get an inspired game from our O-line? I'm not asking them to play great. That's not what I'm asking at all. Can they play inspired? Because if they play inspired, if they play with some attitude, if they play with some grit, then the run game is going to open up. We've, like you said, we've got two studs. The run game is going to open up, and that's only going to open up our passing game. Like you said with the RPO, I'd love to see Houghton run a little bit more. He showed it a little bit with a flash at Temple last week. He popped off for like a 40-yard run in which he should have scored a touchdown and kind of stepped out at the half yard. yard run. Was it 75? Okay, he should have scored. That's all I know. He he stepped out. He should have scored. He should have just lowered his shoulder and been like, screw it. I'm getting this touchdown. But I get it. But, you know, go ahead. I was going to say Coach Houston – or he said that Coach Houston said that to him, and he said that he needed to – he was – Coach Houston said he was – he's a bigger guy. He he needs to go ahead and do that. And holding uh, in his his media availability, he he said, um, yeah, I'm just glad that game was on ESPN+. Plus." Otherwise, I'd have so many more people in my mentions talking about it. Look, look, Holden, Holden's got to understand that's not a, he's not a small boy. He can he can pop pads with people if he wants to. Oh, yeah. He really can. He can pop pads. So I, I would I would love to see you know them open up the run game with Holton a little bit more. Not much. We don't need our quarterback getting hurt. We don't need him taking you know stupid hits to the head or, or body or nothing like that. But just open it open it up a little bit more. And can our offensive line play inspired? If those two things happen, we got a good shot. Yeah, and then the last question is, will SMU focus on the run and force us to beat them throwing the ball? Once again, that, that's kind of the same question. Um, I believe SMU will uh, focus a little more heavily on, on run defense this week, especially with, with how their secondary is. Once again, they I mean, they have one guy that has uh, four interceptions, one cornerback that has four interceptions. Mm-hmm. But they, they – they need to uh, they need to keep Rajay Harris and and Keaton Mitchell from from breaking off big runs. I I like I said I wouldn't be surprised if you see um, some different kind of looking offenses this this week um, just to kind of see if you can get something going. Um, last game of the season, if if there's any time to try something, it's the last game of the season when when the season's already lost, right? Yeah. Um, so who knows. I think SMU will focus on it, but if ECU, like like I said, if ECU can, um, if ECU can somehow break off some big runs, if if these running backs can average four and a half five yards per carry, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good day for ECU. Um, that, that's what I have to say about that. And don't be surprised if you see a lot of Darius, not a lot, but more of Darius Penix Jr. this weekend. SMU is game planning for Rajay Harris and Keaton Mitchell. Mike Houston knows that. He also knows he has a pretty good stellar running back in Darius Penix, too, that he can throw out there that they haven't really game planned for that much and kind of get them off balance. Don't be surprised you see Penix this weekend, kind of what you're saying, throwing a little bit of the mix, kind of get them off balance, get them off guard a little bit. Now, the one thing that I would say is with Darius Penix, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in more of a pass protect uh, role. Coming mm-hmm. in, I mean, he 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 hasn't really. I mean, I know he's dealt with some things off the field, and he's had some uh, some injury issues and, and things of that nature. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if I mean he, he's a bigger guy than both Rajay Harris and Keaton Mitchell. Um, just I mean, they're freshmen, right? They're and they're right. they're both small. Um, and, I, and I'm not saying he's going to get the bulk of the carries. I'm just saying every now and then throwing him in there, kind of getting him in some kind of spe- special packages just to kind of throw SMU off a little bit. 
Yeah, and I mean that that's kind of like I mean for me I I like that the eye formation, right? Like you where you have uh, those two running backs or you you have a fullback type and I, I think Darius Penix kind of slots better in or slots better as a as a fullback. He's a little bit bigger. He's he's a little bit uh, bulkier than than those other two guys. And like I said, he he can open up holes for them. I I think that if if I was Donnie Kirkpatrick, I'm not. I don't get paid those that kind of money. Um, uh, that that's what I would like to see. But uh, once again, they don't listen to they don't listen to a list podcasters. They they make the big they make the big bucks. I like that a list podcasters because that's exactly how we feel we are. <laughs> now, our last question with uh with Thanksgiving being today, um, when we're recording this, it's one forty five. Um, God bless. Yeah, I just checked my phone. I was like, God bless. It's a little late. And that's the so good. I'm on, I'm on vacation time, baby. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I might have another one of these vodkas before I go to bed. <laughs> um, Petey, our friend Petey, the ECU mascot, says, if you had to eat one of the traditional Thanksgiving dishes every day for the rest of your life, which would you choose? So I, I, I thought mm. long and hard about this one already. And There's I, a couple. I, I got a couple I could pick. But you, you have to eat it every single day. I don't think it has to be your main course every single day, but you have to. You, do, least, you just have to have it. You have to have it every single day. Oh, yeah. I got, I got a few I could do. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's hear it. Uh, cranberry sauce. I could I could probably eat that out of a can every day. I I, I really could. I'm, I'm dead serious. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I probably could. Um, sweet potato this, this casserole. Man's eating, this man's eating cranberry sauce with spaghetti. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, if if I had to eat it, it's like all right, whatever. Like I'd get tired of it, but I wouldn't ever be like it's gonna kill me. No, I'd be all right. Um, sweet potato casserole. That that would be another one I could probably eat man. every day. That that's a that's we had let, let me just put it into uh, I've said that a lot let me put it into perspective but we have let's see we've got six people eight people six people mm. gonna be here tomorrow for for our Thanksgiving and we have two huge pie dishes of sweet potato casserole <laughs> you gotta have it man you gotta have it it's too good it's oh way yeah too good uh, um, it's one of my favorites. I'm trying to think of anything else that I possibly could eat every day for the rest of my life if I had to in terms of Thanksgiving. Maybe stuffing and gravy. I got to have the gravy, though. I can't just do the stuffing by itself. I got to have the gravy with the stuffing. Okay, yeah. I, to me, I, I would have to say, number one, I don't know, man. I, I, I could probably say I, – I, I, one of the things is I think I think I could do mac and cheese every single day. That's too regular though, man. But, mac mac but, and cheese is not even Thanksgiving. That's some regular stuff. Yeah, but but here's the here's the thing. I'm thinking like you can you can change mac and cheese up quite a bit. You can't change cranberry. That's sauce. what I'm saying. That's 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 too easy, man. Mac and cheese too easy. Okay, okay. Well then also I mm, Now I could see myself eating like not sliced turkey, but I could see myself eating like actual turkey every single day because I love I like turkey, I, I love turkey. Ugh. But I, I like I like turkey. I just every day, hell no. But I mean, no. you, you could I mean you could do some different things with it, make it into a sandwich. Hell no. 
<laughs> I can't do turkey every day, dog. I'm sorry. Make uh, turkey par- parmesan. Uh, <laughs> you said turkey parmesan. <laughs> um, and then I, I guess I could probably also do. Um, mm, yeah, I, I'm not. I don't want to do green bean casserole. Oh no, I don't even like green bean casserole. Uh, yeah, that, that's the Chicago in you. Um, Ugh, yeah, no. <laughs> Uh, I, I could do stuffing. I, I, I talked last week about how I, I love my, my family's stuffing recipe. Um, actually no, tonight, no gravy or gravy. I, I like the gravy, but I could eat it without. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't have to have it. Um, a lot of times I'll put it on there, especially on Thanksgiving, but we'll have, we'll have the stuffing throughout the year. We don't just eat it. Right. Um, just with that. But yeah, that that's one of my favorite dishes. It, it's something that has been passed down from my grandfather and uh we we, we love it uh, i mean savannah she she's really taken uh, a liking to cooking it so I, I'll, I'll eat it any day of the week I, I love it um you can't really do much with, with stuffing but i i think you, that's something that can pair well with almost any meat um, right it does especially like a chicken or like if you had rotisserie chicken and and some stuffing i yeah, that'd be great. Game over. That that's that's all. That's all I need. I'm going to sleep, man. That and a beer. I'm good. Yeah. I'm going to sleep. Yeah. Now that that's that's the question. What kind of beer are you drinking tomorrow? Ooh, I, I think I think I'm gonna do. Uh, I think I'm gonna go back to my roots because it's Thanksgiving. I'm gonna do some Yingling tomorrow. America's oldest brewery. I'm gonna do some Yingling. All right. Yeah. That. I mean, you saw that's what I was drinking on the live stream. I was drinking black yeah. and tans on the live stream. That, man, those I'll, Yinglings are good. I'll also be with my mom. That's my mom's favorite beer. So I'll be I'll be drinking some Yinglings with my mom and uh, toasting it up on Thanksgiving. Yeah, the the beer that I've uh, kind of gotten into recently is the Devil's Backbone Vienna Lager. That's um, good. I've had that. Check it out. I got it at Total Wine. Love it. I mean, I, I really I really enjoy it. Um, so yeah, let us know what let us know what y'all are eating and what what you could eat. Um, every single day and let us know what, what you're drinking. We want to see your drinks. Uh, if you're wearing ECU colors, if you're wearing repping your purple and gold at, at Thanksgiving dinner while you're sitting across from your cousin wearing that ugly color red right, or <laughs> that ugly color blue. Or that baby blue. I mean, my brother-in-law and my wife both went to Chapel Hill. So, um, But still, send, send us pictures of, of your ECU Thanksgiving meals. We'd love to see them. Um, now, Artie, let's uh, let's let's start to kind of wrap this thing up. We've got we've been going let's for it. quite it's been a while a now. Long episode. It's been a long and show. It, yeah, it's gonna be a long one. But hey, at least people, most people have a four day weekend coming up, mm-hmm. and they they can uh, listen to it as they and prepare I, to watch ECU SMU. What's up, man? No, I was gonna say, and I, I think it's a good episode too. I think we're very knowledgeable in this episode. I think we were we're real good, straight to the point, very poignant. So I think the people are gonna like it. Look at you tuning our own horn. Yeah. So, Artie, uh, we'll, we'll go into walk the plank. Do you have a walk the plank this week? I, I actually don't. I don't have a walk the plank. I'm not, I'm not mad at nobody. If You know what? Maybe I do. Go ahead, go ahead and do yours first. Well, I've got two. Man, maybe I'm just mad at everybody. <laughs> I, I just thought about mine. It's an NFL walk the plank. So Then go ahead. It's, uh, you know, obviously this season with the NFL, there's been a lot well, of I think good I know teams. Where you're going. It's been a lot of good conferences, but there's one division. Oh my gosh! One division in particular. 
that is so abysmal. It's that almost is like so it, terribly bad. It's, it's almost like, like the division what, you're in, in in fantasy football. Seriously, it's like what the hell are we doing? And that is the NFC least, not the NFC East. The NFC least. The only the the highest winning percentage in that division is like point two something. No team has more than three wins. The Eagles are three, five, and one, or three, six, and one, something like that. The Cowboys are three and seven. The, the Washington football team, that absurd, uh, uh, you know, monstrosity of a team is three and seven. The New York football giants are three and seven. It's just absurd. And, uh, and, and to top it all off, one of these teams is going to host a playoff game. One of these teams is going to win this division at five or six wins and host a playoff game. Dear NFL, please do away with divisions. Just make it the best um, records that get into the playoffs. We cannot have a 6-10, 5-11, 7-9 team host a playoff game. That's absurd. It should be the best teams in the conference not the divisions, get in. That's my two cents. NFC least, walk the damn plank. <laughs> All right. And then mine, so I, I said I have two. Um, One real quick. BYU, what the hell y'all doing, man? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, have you seen this already? No, I didn't. I didn't. What's, what's going on with BYU? So BYU apparently reached out to Washington last week when they saw that they had a, an open date this weekend. Um, for for a game, BYU needs more games. They're they're trying to get in the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. Well, BYU said, "Hey, Washington, you you want to play us? We're looking for another Power Five team to play." What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. But they said, "We're we're only going to play y'all if it benefits us." Like basically, they said, like they had a handshake agreement that yeah, we're going to play, and then they were like. They saw the rankings come out, and they were like, yeah, you know what? really doesn't benefit us. Y'all, y'all aren't as good as we thought y'all were going to be. Those Mormons are the nicest people. <laughs> so the, <laughs> Washington was all set to play BYU this week, and BYU backed out. <laughs> and, now, <laughs> and now people are saying, well, should BYU play Cincinnati? And Cincinnati's like, why should they play? Now, here's the thing. If if BYU plays Cincinnati, BYU is a lower ranked team than Cincinnati. They would, if I was Cincinnati, if you're going to do that, you have to play at Cincinnati. You have to come up here and play us. Oh, we're, not yeah. going, we're not going yeah. down there to play y'all. You have to come to us. And I mean, as our Cincinnati had their game against Temple canceled. Temple finally got what they wanted, um, what they tried to get against ECU last week. But since uh, <laughs> Cincinnati, I've seen a lot of Cincinnati fans saying like. We don't need to play them. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now, Jared, BYU messed up by not playing Washington because had they played Washington and beaten Washington, that would have almost assured them had they won out probably a spot in the college football playoff. The yep. greatest thing that happened to Cincinnati and BYU is to schedule a game against each other, especially at Cincinnati. Do you know what kind of draw that would be? If you have six versus seven for a spot in the college football playoff, the winner of that game has to get in. And I'm I'm all the winner for, of that game has to get in. I'm all for it. The if game. they went out, they have to get in. There's I'm, I'm, no possible way to keep them out. I'm all for the game. I'm I mean, I, I think that 
if Cincinnati, if the American Athletic Conference wants a shot, that's their that's their yeah that's their ticket. Because BYU's legit, Cincinnati's legit. You put those two teams together, the winner of that game, you, there's just you, there's just you, no way the committee could keep them out. You put those two teams together, that whoever comes out of that game is going to have a top ten win, and it's going to be a legitimate right. top ten win. A, a top ten win, and, and and for the case of Cincinnati, you'd have a top ten win. You'd probably have multiple top twenty-five wins because they beat SMU and they're the top twenty-five, and they probably beat Tulsa or whatever in the top twenty-five. And then you'd have a conference championship and an undefeated season on top of that. Cincinnati could be two or three in the nation easily. Yeah. I mean, Cincinnati beat SMU when they were ranked and beat them, I believe, forty-seven to thirteen. Mm-hmm. I mean, once again, ECU scored the most points against Cincinnati of any FBS team in, in this year. Yeah, um, but also that that kind of leads into my other walk the plank. So BYU walk the damn plank, y'all, y'all messed up. <laughs> Getting uh, back to the walk the plank. Um, now I want to talk about the college football playoff committee. All right, and and this is one of those things that I mean I've been very adamant about, and I know I I know that I'm just from a uh, little podunk East Carolina. Uh, I I'm just a I'm just a country boy covering covering my pirates covering my alma mater um we, we can't we can't call ourselves a small school anymore man we got like the highest enrollment in the state what but what i'm gonna say is well, well what i was saying all that to say well yeah ecu doesn't really have any shot to make the college football playoff right now talk to me, <laughs> <laughs> talk, talk, talk to me in talk to me in about five years um but what what I was what I'm saying I'm saying all that to say this. For the American Athletic Conference, Cincinnati it, you can't tell me Cincinnati's not a top five team. You can't tell me that. If you tell me that, I'm gonna laugh laugh at your face. Like I'm I'm gonna look at you and I'll laugh at you and I'm gonna probably tell you you're stupid. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. I'm gonna tell you, bruh, you are stupid. Because Cincinnati is a top five team. Cincinnati, they're they're averaging still less than thirteen points per game given up, right? They're, they are the one of the top five defenses in the country. They're doing it against top twenty five teams, UCF, Tulsa, SMU. They've done it. They've shown that they can do it. You want you want you want to put do a real thing? All right. Ohio State, they're three and zero, and they're number three in the country. Ohio State's good. You want you want to tell me that Ohio State at three and zero is better than eight and zero, nine and zero, Cincinnati? Okay, but put your money where your mouth is. Have an in-state game, and see who's good. See what see what's up. I don't I don't care who you are. You can't tell me that a. I mean, you got you have. Oklahoma, that's number eleven in the country right now. No, 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 no. Yes, o- yes. Oklahoma's ranked eleventh because I didn't, I didn't see the full college football playoff ranking. Yes. I only saw the top four. Oklahoma is ranked in the top twenty-five. They're not eleven, though. There's no way they're eleven. Uh, here, let me let me pull it up, Artie. I mean, Oklahoma's had two really bad losses. There's no way they're eleven. I'm trying to pull it up. My phone's being. Janky again. These are things that we should have, like. 
I mean, look, if, you, if you've got Oklahoma 11 and you don't even have SMU in the top 25, Texas is, what the hell are we doing? Texas, 5-2 and two Texas, is number 17. 6-2 and two Iowa State, 13. 3-2 and two Iowa, 24. 6-2 and two North Carolina, with their losses being Virginia and Florida State, 19. You've got Ohio State, 4-0. They're number four. Oklahoma State, 5-2. and two, They're 23rd. Okay. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Um, let's see. You got USC, who plays in the Pac-12, which is honestly a – uh, I mean, honestly, to me, USC and the Pac-12, the Pac-12 is trash. Um, but USC is 18. Oklahoma, 6-2, and two, number 11. Number 11. Their losses came against unranked Kansas State, 38-35 on, on September 26th. They lost to Iowa State the next week, 37 to 30. Now Iowa State's ranked. Then Look, oh, to, oh, oh, go, go ahead, go ahead. To me, Oklahoma, then they beat Texas, which Texas isn't as good as everybody thought they were. But once again, it they all, never are. Once again, it all goes back to the preseason rankings and the way that the rankings were. You, you have these guys, you have these teams that are ranked. I mean, Penn State was ranked in the top 10. They're now 0-5. Probably going to be 0-6 after they play Michigan this weekend. Penn State might not win a game, man. Penn State might not win a game. And then they got all these, all these other problems going on with their, with their coach having a, trying to, like, cover up a fight or whatever. I mean, having players threatening each other. <laughs> to me, I mean, you got Oklahoma beat Oklahoma State 41-13. to The Big 12 – the Big 12 isn't real. And, and that's what I'm saying. That's what Look, I'm saying. This, this, this committee, they think that Oklahoma, okay, Oklahoma blew out Oklahoma State, so now we got to put them closer to the top 10. They still got two bad losses. Yes, Oklahoma should be in the top 25, but to be 11th in the country, they're not the 11th best team in the country. They're easily going to lose another game. And that, that's what I'm saying. is, And Oklahoma that, State's easily going to lose another game. How, Texas how does, can easily lose another how, game. How does UNC – Drop out of the top twenty-five after losing to, let's see, UNC. Florida State was one and three when they lost to Florida State. Virginia was one in something when they lost to them. It's absurd. Then you have, then you have eight and zero Coastal Carolina. Granted, in the Sun Belt, at twentieth, they dropped last week. No, no, no. I get it. Out. Look. You still have a lot of teams from group of fives in the top 25. Like, Coastal's still in there. Marshall's still in there. Um, I'm sure they bounced Liberty out after that, you know, one-point loss to NC State. Even though NC State has, like, a five and two, six and two record, I'm sure they bounced Liberty out of the top 25. Um, you know, who, who else Who else do we have? You know, we got Cincinnati. We got Tulsa. SMU should absolutely be in the top 25 if you're going to have these other teams with bad – two losses in the top 25. I and mean, that's absurd. I don't, I don't disagree with the top four. Okay. Alabama is clearly the best team in the country. Notre Dame is clearly the second best team in the country. Clemson 
took three overtimes to lose to Notre Dame. They should be number three. And then you should have Ohio State right there at number four. I do not disagree with the top four. The top four is what it is. But everything after that is kind of a crapshoot. Yeah. And, like, I mean, to me, once again, it goes – I mean, Auburn. Auburn's 22 right now. Who have they beaten? I don't know. I haven't kept up with Auburn. <laughs> I don't know who they beat. I mean, I know, I know we're kind of going down a rabbit hole, but, like, this, this is what I look at. I mean, Auburn. No, where was where where was Cincinnati? Were they six? They were they're six, seven. right? They're oh, they're seven. They're seven. Was BYU eight? BYU is, I believe, eight. You've got to you've got to have Cincinnati five. You've got to have BYU six. So Auburn, they that's beat, what that's what it should be. Auburn beat Kentucky. Kentucky is now three and five. They were ranked in the preseason top twenty-five. That goes as a top twenty-five win. Auburn beat Kentucky by 29 to 13. Then they got blown out by Georgia. Then they beat, they barely squeaked by Arkansas. Arkansas has a lot of problems going on right now. Arkansas is looking at it right now. Arkansas is three and five. They barely beat Arkansas. They lost to South Carolina. Lost to South Carolina. Who just fired your coach midseason. Yeah. Then they beat Auburn or they beat Ole Miss by by seven. Ole Miss is let's see. Ole Miss what, is three and five too, I'm pretty sure. Three and four, three and five, something like Ole that. Ole Miss is three and four. Yeah. Blow out LSU, who I mean, LSU is not the team from last year. LSU is now three and three. Right? So they so 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 you're telling me Auburn hasn't beaten a team with a winning record, but they're in the top twenty five. Exactly. That's and that's what I'm saying. They that's haven't beaten a team with a winning record. And they st- yeah they started out in the top ten, and they haven't beat a team with a winning record. Then they're gonna go in they they're gonna get slaughtered. They, they haven't beaten a team with a winning record, and they have two losses, and yes. they're in the top twenty five. Yes, and one of those losses is to South Carolina, who just fired their coach. I'm telling you right now, Alabama's gonna win that game by fifty, by fifty, and I wouldn't be surprised they won by more. The game's not gonna be close. College football playoff committee. It's absurd. Get your shit together. It's absurd. Come on now. At least, at least be somewhat unbiased. Look, look. It, all I know is Cincinnati needs to be at five, and BYU needs to be at six. They're undefeated. They've proven that they can not only compete; they're blowing their competition out. Yeah. They're winning by a lot. Yeah. And BYU went on the road to Boise State. Boise State was ranked when they played them. Boise State has a winning record, and BYU blew them out by 30. This is absurd. Uh, that's, that's absolutely that, absurd. That's my problem. That is my problem. And that's the biggest gripe. And anybody can tell me, oh, the American Athletic Conference doesn't play anybody. Really? Really? Then why don't you schedule us? Why don't you schedule a team from the American Athletic Conference instead of scheduling a team from – I don't know whatever conference Troy plays in. What what do they play in? <laughs> do they play in the they play in the Sun Belt? I don't even I'd, know. I'd, I'd, if I had to guess, I'd say Sun Belt. Like you play Troy, Alabama eight ten. Troy plays Alabama every single year. Alabama doesn't schedule any non conference road games. They're supposed to have one this year. Alabama's good. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Look, look, look. Like, like, like I said, the top four is the top four. I think the top four is legitimate. Those, those the, are the, the only cream question. Of the, crop. the only question I have is Ohio State. 
to looking at it, the rest of the Big Ten, other than Ohio State, the rest of the Big Ten hasn't shown me anything. Because well, you got to you got to give Indiana a lot of credit too, because they just beat a very good Indiana team. I don't think Indiana's going to lose another game this season. No, I mean, yeah, Indiana's good, but you look at Penn State, ranked top ten preseason. Michigan, yeah, ranked top twenty-five preseason. Yeah. Now the Michigan has what one win, two wins. It took us four overtimes to beat Rutgers. 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 A team that I watched honestly, that entire game, Jared. You know how embarrassed I was to watch Michigan barely beat Rutgers? That was embarrassing. Rutgers should be in the Big East. That was embarrassing. Rutgers barely has a football team. Maryland. Maryland is in the, is in the Big Ten. Scotty Montgomery. Come on now. The, you tell me. And it it kind of goes back to our, our conversation with Billy Embody earlier. You tell me that one of the that these teams in, in these power conferences, quote unquote power conferences, is it you tell me that all of these teams are better than the American just because they're in the power five conferences doesn't mean they're better than any given team in the American. I guarantee if a team like Maryland played the American Athletic Conference schedule, they'd probably be they'd probably be two and six in conference. Two and six. Right now, Michigan, probably two and six in conference. Yeah, yep. Sadly, they'd probably be about two and six. But you're going to count those wins, those earlier wins in the season, as top 25 wins because you ranked them in the top 25 preseason. That's how this shit works. That's how it works. Get rid of the preseason rankings. Let's come and play ball. And everybody is on a level playing field. If you if you don't do that, then you, you're you're doing it wrong. You you got to have some level of eye test. You got to have some level of eye test. It can't just be all the numbers. And and they've and they've done a better job of putting group of five teams in the top twenty five this season. But what you just rattled off to me. Those rankings are so absurd, man. You can easily look at these teams and be like, why are Oklahoma's 11th? Well, what? They lost they to Kansas beat, State. They ain't beat no damn body. They ain't beat nobody. It's, it's COVID, man. It's a COVID year. Hopefully, no, it's we'll. Not. It's <laughs> not. It's every single year, Artie. Every that's the only thing year. I can say. This is, I mean, that's, that's absurd you, to me. UCF goes undefeated for two years and they don't make the college football playoff? Give me a damn break. College football playoff, walk the damn plank. All right. We're off our soapbox. <laughs> so, Artie, let's uh, let's do some betting lines real quick. We just talked about this game. Number 22, Auburn travels to Tuscaloosa um, without, without their head coach. Uh, Alabama's head coach, Nick Saban, out with COVID. This time it's for real. It's not um, going to matter. It's not going to matter. Al- Alabama. So, Alabama, number one, is a 25-point favorite over a top 25 team. That, what that tells me? What that tells me, going back to it, and I'm, I promise I'm going to get off of it, <laughs> going back to it, Las Vegas knows. Las Vegas knows that Auburn isn't a top 25 team. No top 25 team should ever be a 25-point dog. Ever. Indiana, Indiana was a top – or Indiana was a 25-point dog last week to Ohio State. Ohio State, and they lost by seven. And they lost by seven. So – but what that tells me, though, is – 
Las Vegas doesn't think that Auburn is a top 25 team. So take Alabama, take, take the points. And, and the only thing I can say about this rivalry is that in the last decade, this has been a fun game to watch. Auburn-Alabama has been – the Iron Bowl has been the best rivalry in college football. It's the, been really fun to watch. The, the, spread, the spread on this game is so wide that there's not even a money line listed right. on ESPN. But, I, but I'm telling you right now, this year is not going to be a fun game. Alabama's going to win by a lot. They're going to yeah. win by a lot. And then you got number – so, yeah, take Alabama and then take the over. Alabama's yeah. going to win – Alabama's going to win that Alabama game. Alabama might win or might score 62 and a half points. <laughs> Take the over, man. Then you have Iowa State at Texas, number 13 at number 17. This is interesting. Texas is a one-point favorite. One point. Yeah. This game's a toss-up. This, this is going to be a good game. This is going to be a good game because Sam Ellinger can have one of those days where he just goes the bleep off. And even if he does, it's going to be close. Iowa State plays – they play good football. They're not a bad team. They play good football. Um, but I, I think Texas is going to win. Okay. I, really, I think okay. Texas wins this game. I think they win, I don't know, 38-34, something like that. Okay. So, you're – I mean, if you do that, take Texas all the way. That that covers the over um, 57. Yeah, take take the over in that game. Yeah. Um. And then the, the, the game of the week at noon on ESPN Plus in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, the SMU Mustangs. You know, Artie, my uh, elementary school, our, our, we were the Mustangs. I'm just kind of throwing that out there. <laughs> there <laughs> you go with your random facts, man. Same colors, too. Um, SMU's a 12-point favorite on the road at ECU. Um, I think that I think that's a honest line. That's fair. I I think that ECU could could cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm taking SMU outright. Um, over under sixty seven and a half. If ECU comes out and, and plays like I think they can on offense and and kind of has a repeat of last year, mm-hmm. then uh then I think that uh, I think that that over is going to hit. Um, I mean, last year this game was 59-51. I mean, right. these, two, these two teams scored 110 points. Um, what I don't think it'll have that high of a game, but I think it'll be I think it'll be a hell of a game. Uh, money line on ECU is plus 380, and then uh, I believe it's minus 475 for SMU. So, yeah. Um, Artie, who are you taking? Yeah, I've 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 got SMU outright, just like just like you said. Um, I I will take the over. I, I think this game is absolutely going to hit the over. Um, man, I ECU likes to keep it close, and they like to play these really competitive games at the end of the season. We've seen that the last couple of years with SMU with Cincinnati. They like to play these good teams close, and I'm expecting that this weekend. Do we get the win? Ugh, I'd love to say yes. I don't see it. But I do think it's going to be close. Take the over. Um, it might get ugly late, but I don't think it's going to be ugly early and often. But uh, yeah, I've got I've got SMU outright, sadly. All right. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah. I'm. Oh man, I I really want to take SMU, but 
pull the trigger. You know what? I I did it. I did. I, I did the same thing against Tulsa. Pull the trigger. I did this. I had the same kind of gut feeling against Tulsa. I I think I think ECU will cover. Um, I'm taking ECU. Okay. E, ECU gets that signature win. Coach Houston's been okay. talking about. Um, just because I think that ECU can and. It is ECU's due to have an explosive offensive game in a game that they they're not expected to, and and I think that ECU could do it this week. They haven't had it all year. What better time than now to start? Um, <laughs> the last game of the season, and then <laughs> yeah, e, e, ECU uh, gets that win, gets over the hump. Uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick, you heard it in his press conference. He said in 2015, the last time we were. Three and five in conference was 2015. Um, that that's kind of when the wheels fell off on the on the program. Mm-hmm. Well, this if this if ECU gets to three and five this weekend, we're we're back to where we were when we when we fired Coach Ruff, and uh, you, you're you're making progress. So I'm taking ECU. Just Not ECU. Maybe, maybe maybe that's the homer in me, but I'm doing it. Look, an, an ECU victory does not shock me. It just means that we finally played to our potential. Like, the, the, the kind of potential that we could have played with all season. Like, I'm not shocked by ECU winning this game at all. I'm really not. It just means, okay, we actually got the pieces in motion, and we actually did the kind of things that we could do if we played a the, damn near perfect game. The only, thing that, the only thing that throws me is SME's last game against Houston was, was postponed. And so – Extra they, week of preparation. And an extra week of preparation, and they're coming off a loss at Tulsa or against mm-hmm. Tulsa. Look, SMU's going to be ready to kick some ass. <laughs> that, that's, just, that's the guy's honest truth. They're, they're going to be ready to play. Oh, yeah. But, uh, Artie, that, that's it. Um, that's, our, that's our last pregame show of, of the year. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> it's a little bittersweet. Yeah, we're, but we, we're going to start talking about uh, basketball and, and kind of getting back into a routine of, of doing – maybe one episode, maybe one and a half episodes every week, um, kind of coming to you maybe midweek with, with some with some smaller episodes. Yeah, I was about um, to say, I can, I can guarantee these basketball episodes are not going to be two to two and a half hours long. Man, th- this episode this episode's going to be damn near pushing three, three hours. Three hours, yeah. So we, we thank you for if – you're, if you're at this point, we thank you for right, if you hanging stuck with, with us. Um, th- this is, we, we hope you all enjoyed it. I had fun with this one. Uh, it's – 2.30, I'm supposed to be up in three and a half hours to put in the turkey. Uh, and I still got to edit this thing. So, um, yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to wrap this thing up. Everybody, yeah. make sure you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those places. Um, we're, we're, we're proud to do this. We don't do this for – we don't do this for, like, anything other than just pride of our, of our school. Um but at some point, we're trying to make some money. Oh yeah, <laughs> at, at some point. If if you're looking to sponsor the premier podcast of Pirate Nation, hit us up, DM us. You can email us at boneyardpod at gmail dot com. Um, yeah, do one of those. We'll we'll work something out. Um, but make sure you follow us. Leave us a review. That like I said, that's that's how we kind of get out there more, um, earn credibility. We we believe that we're credible. Um, we think that y'all believe that we're credible. That's why you listen to us. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you think that, leave us a review. 
if if you don't leave a review, walk the damn plank. <laughs> All right, Artie, any final thoughts? Hey, man, happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Travel safe, be safe. Um, love, you know, this is a great time with all this, you know, COVID and everything going on. Just a great time to get with family, just remind each other how much you guys care about each other, how much you're thankful for each other. Love one another, respect one another, eat your fill, drink good, eat good, and uh, we'll see you for the post game on Saturday. All right, Artie, cheers to you. Absolutely. Happy Thanksgiving, Power Nation.